All right, listen up, Spuds. This is Zap Brannigan, master of time, space, and everything else in between. And, uh, oh, yeah, winner of this year's Modesty Award. You're listening to You Suck. What's the difference with Al and Tom? You're one stop for this sort of thing. Yeah. I hey love guys. that so much. Uh, <laughs> fuck the fuck the audience. Let's just uh, let's just you you haven't shown that to me yet at all. Like the 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 one thing is like it's it's obviously the voice that we got recorded from Billy West, which is phenomenal. I still can't get over that. I listen back to it on a consistent basis. It makes me laugh. But I didn't know that you're gonna put the the picture of Kip and fucking Zabrangan saluting in there, and it looks like they're saluting all of our guests. And I just love that so much. You're so brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I did do that and I was kind of like, ah, oh. I think it was kind of a fluke. I didn't mean it to look so good, but it does look really fucking good. It looks so. great. It looks fucking amazing. I love ask it so much. Ask me to do it again. Go on, Daya. Ask, you to, ask me to do it again. I'll do it again, please. I don't know how. I'll have to make it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Ah, it's one of them. Hey, guys, welcome to What's the Difference podcast. I'm Alex Whiteley. And I'm Tom Bruno. Uh, we'll do it this way this time, rather than be like, hey guys, how's it going? And then do like the intro halfway through the show. We do have two guests coming in very soon. Uh, we're going to be talking a bit about the, the the sort of positive effects of suicide and drugs and, uh, yeah, with journalists. Uh, so we're going to be doing that as, as as a way of trying to understand a little bit more. I think that's what the, uh, the goal is for today. But yeah, um, we also, before we just sort of have a chat about what we've been up to this weekend what you've been up to tom you've been up to much um we just got out of work a couple hours ago it's tired as i'll get out um you know it's it's been a pretty standard week um i i didn't really do too much other than the work that's which explains a lot of like why i am the way i am right this second you on the other hand have been extremely busy fucking alex what have you been doing this week um, well, I've got to tell you a bit about my week first before we break into the weekend because my week has been fucking. <sighs> Roadrunner did sort of putting his head in the ground when he's scared, you know? Oh, it was, I think those are ostrich. I, ostrich. I think, yeah, those are ostriches. I don't think that's a roadrunner. Roadrunners are roadrunners and ostriches are ostriches. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of been my week, to be honest. Um, I. <laughs> the week before, I re- I've recorded three podcasts. Um, very very good podcasts and switching from Streamyard to Zoom uh, sometimes it resets the the settings for your audio. Uh, I recorded these three these three podcasts. One with the new High Sheriff of Shropshire. I realised that my uh, mic hadn't connected properly and it picked me up on my laptop, which is a fair distance away from me. And these these podcasts, I sounded like I was underwater. Um, so they were. F- fucked they were they were fucked um i had to write a, a serious like a proper apology to the high sheriff i'm gonna try and try and fix that one um but the other two they're gone gone the, is, <laughs> it the, no is it the new high sheriff or is this the same high sheriff you spoke the to new high sheriff yeah oh you done fucked up you're gonna get yeah. arrested yeah, well that's it he's gonna turn up on his horse it's that one <laughs> drag him by his ankles through the town let people know what kind of a, a tar and feather him yeah, bring so. them to the gallows. 
So that was my, that was the beginning of my week. Uh, then I did naughty talk on Thursday, which was which was fine, which was fine. It was one of them that I was kind of like I was still bummed out about what happened in the week, and um, the show was fine. Not as much energy as I had the first week, but it's fine. But this weekend has been really nice. I mean, last night I got to. We ordered an Indian. I had an Indian takeaway, which was nice. Mm. Uh, mm. And then me and the wife, we sat and we watched Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! And my wife, God, we'll get into that in a second because I want to talk about my experience with Mortal Kombat and what that meant to me last night. Uh, but today mm. we, had, we went to the, the an ice cream farm in, in Cheshire. Um, and I mentioned this on the, on Wednesday Night Live and everyone was like, what? You're going to a fucking ice cream farm? Uh, and yeah. it's a bit like what Ben and Jerry's do. It's like a theme park type thing, you know? But Ben and Jerry's doesn't really have a theme park. Like what you see is like the factory and then the rest of it's just like outdoorsy kind of like, hey, get your picture taken in a pint of ice cream. Oh, are you a Ben and Jerry's pint? That type oh, okay. of stuff. I it's, thought there was like a theme park thing type there. The thing you might be thinking about is we have something called Hershey Park over here. Um, which is uh, okay. um, a actual theme park dedicated to the great Hershey bar and to all those that are in it, like Reese's and Snickers and shit along those lines. That's that's what that is. Um, yeah, the Ben Jerry's um, place is literally just a factory. Like the whole ride is like a walking. It's, it's more of like a physical walking of through the, the factory. Like there's glass in front of you, so you can't like you know, go up there and stick your head in the vats of this ice cream This is where we keep the cardboard and the recycling. Um, and over here we got the, 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 the boxes where the, the cream comes in in bags. Uh, <laughs> and Jerry over here carries the bag over there to where he cuts it open, puts it into that machine over there. <laughs> you sound like Principal Skinner. He's like, today, children, we're not going to the box factory. We're going to the box factory. Damn TV. <laughs> that was my Matt, Spal- Matt Spalding impression because he's, he's got that kind of accent. Well, it sounds like he's only just over the border, uh, but I'm from Vermont, you know. You should mention war a few times if you want to be Matt Spaulding, because if you remember the last time I spoke to Matt Spaulding, or somebody that knew Matt Spaulding, I should say, um, he mentioned war like 20 times. <laughs> I was just like, man. Not, this not when, is... not when uh, he invited his friend Santa Claus with us. He didn't mention that then. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's definitely not when he mentioned war 15, 20 times. That, that wasn't hey, kids, at all. They did this thing in the in the 30s that <laughs> killed a lot of people. Uh, Santa Slay was uh, reconditioned. Um <laughs> It's so weird. It was so weird. It's like it's like I wanted to speak to Santa, not not fucking Don Cheadle or fucking uh, uh, Dick Cheney or something. I don't know what those two have to do with one another. But I've got a video. I'll show you. I'll show you what we walked into today. I've got some videos Mm. and some pictures to show you exactly Mm. what I saw. So here we go. Here's a video of me at the uh, uh, ice cream farm. Nice dance one, isn't it? So there. Nice. Nice play area. Um, big, big play area. There's, it's really nice, actually, because you've got like, these square things on the floor. They're like personal trampolines that you can jump around on. A big treehouse thing you can climb up and go down the slide. And lots of spinny, roundy shit uh, that you can do. Um, and, the, you know, there's there's mini golf, which... Which cows was like, oh, we're not doing the mini golf. I was like, you fucking what? 
Yes, we fucking are. <laughs> <laughs> you worried I'm going to smoke you in mini golf? Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and she, this is she, the this was the golf course. Look at it. You got like a proper strawberry waterfall and big mushrooms and all kinds of stuff going on there. It's really fun. Really fun. It's, really, there's loads it's really of got a Wonka Wonka feel to it. Like I'm not gonna lie, I expected you to be like, so I lost Kaz. Um yeah. she got dropped into the chute and um they're gonna juice her at some point and extract her. Um <laughs> fucking my God! It's it, floating it, away. Uh, uh, it is the, uh, chocolate stream. But I made it out now. There was there's a lot of uh, collection of ice cream you could have. Um, uh, we went and got ice creams. Um, it was really nice. There's us there, sort of queuing Aww, up. Oh, look at the family! Uh, we had some ice creams, and then what, so I had yeah, yeah, I had flavors. cherry crumble, um, unicorn. And bubble gum. <laughs> Unicorn is a flavor of ice cream. Kaz had mango and honeycomb, I think. <sighs> See, I knew me and Kaz get along. Fucking, those are something I'd eat. I don't know what the mango's, fuck you're eating, but. Mango's a fucking heathen fruit. Disgusting. <laughs> eat it, like... <laughs> yeah, it's real nice. Love it. it. Thank you very much. Just had a stroke. Thank you. Really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> then I went to the pub in crew uh, to, to go for a pint with me, mom. Oh, is that your mom? That's my mom. Oh, you look just like her. That's so cute. How come all the women in your life wear yellow? I don't know, man. But they were complaining about the wasps had a pint and a burger. So that was my day today. Really nice. Look at that fucking burger. That looked Uh, nice. Do you want to bring it back up? Making yeah, 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 definitely. Came with four burgers, uh, and I was like, "Fuck!" I will give one to Kaz. I was like, "I can't eat four burgers." So I put some uh, <laughs> some bacon on there, and some mustard, and some ketchup. Boston. Yeah. God. Damn, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I thought America did burgers right, but that's a well done burger right there. It's good, man. And then uh, we everywhere we seem to go, there's always seem to be peacocks. Peacocks seem to be the thing; they're just everywhere. Uh, have you seen a peacock with its tail feathers open? Yeah, we got yeah, we got this guy who was doing it all the time. He's kind of like look. Who- Yeah, got to see a peacock. With his, his you know what he's doing right there, right? I mean, like, you know why peacocks do that? They're like, I'm horny as fuck. Yes, yes, he is. He is definitely horny as fuck. And I don't know if he's horny for you or horny for Kaz, but he was horny for one of you guys, and he was trying to get with you. Um, I don't like peacocks. Peacocks are mean sometimes. He came walking up to me, and I was like, what, buddy? And he's like, ooh, carried on walking. Didn't go for me or anything. There's lots of kids running around and stuff. So, Yeah, I imagine they can be. They're big birds, man. They're fucking big birds. When I was in uh, Disney World, we we stayed at this place called the Tree Chop Villas, and it was it was cool. And it's essentially, as it sounds, it's, it's like a tree house of sorts. And there was like wild birds, you know. It's fucking Florida for fuck's sake. It's tropical weather and shit. So um, down below, there's like peacocks and all sorts of stuff. And like every single day that we'd go out to like a Disney park, I'd have to like run to the rental car because the peacock would come straight at me. It just wanted me, bro. Like, I don't know if it wanted me, wanted me, if it liked me, liked me, if it wanted to pin me. I don't know what it wanted, but it wanted something. Dinosaur. (laughs) Speaking of which, um, we got rid of a rooster uh, this week. We got, we only had one rooster, but we, we had Kyle and he was a big old, Kyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a jerk. Not to me. Like, that's the thing is like, he's never been aggressive to me. He's been super aggressive to everyone else in the house, so I don't know if it's just my uh, manliness or whatever it might be, but like Kyle's just threatened. I saw the video, sh- Shona, attacking Shona, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if he just like got the sense. Maybe I was just mad at Shona that day, and he's like, "Oh, I got you, bro. You can't hit her, but I've got you." <laughs> <And he's> like, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, he'd go after Shona, and I don't, I don't know what caused it, but he just started doing it. And um, Shona brought him to a farm, not a euphemism for killing him. She literally brought him to a farm, and this farm has emus. I don't know if you know anything about emus or cassowaries, um, but they're fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, like they got the idea for the uh, Velociraptor. Like, I mean, obviously the Velociraptor is a real animal or was a real animal, but like they have giant like claws on their feet. And what they do with those giant claws is they eviscerate you. They go from sternum to guts and they try to knock your guts out. So my daughter's going up to the fence and be like, can I pet him? And he's like, no. Like, absolutely not. Please don't pet those <laughs> fucking birds. And I'm like, did you let her pet him? And she's like, no. And I was like, good. Yeah, probably best that our daughter doesn't get killed by giant birds. Yeah. That, that fuck is. That fuck is. I saw an ostrich. I've seen, I've seen a couple of ostriches. There's one really cool one in, when we went into um, this place in Egypt. And it was just wandering around. It must have been, they must have known it was tame and it was fine. It wasn't going to bother anyone. Um, but there must be so it must be an older one that's kind of just like yeah I don't care anymore whatever <laughs> yeah um, whatever. Uh, well I mean Egypt's in Africa and ostriches live in Africa maybe they got them in the wild or something I don't know they were uh, there were there was a little village um, they had a pen for it so they, they, they did see ah uh, okay gotcha pen and stuff afterwards but well it's good meat you ever have ostrich meat no it's excellent. Is excellent. I mean, it, once again, like everything tastes like chicken after a certain point, but it tastes like chicken. It's like a really, it's like steaky. We've had bison before. We've eaten bison. <sighs> Ooh, bison's good. I can't tell bison you what it tastes like. It's a long time ago, but I remember enjoying it. Bison beef. Bison. It tastes like beef. Fucking, <laughs> like, I don't care what anyone says. It tastes like, yeah, it's a big cow. Big hairy cow is what it tastes like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was our day. It was quite good. I'm just exhausted all the time though. Just tired all the time. Like I, I, the idea was, I was going to come back an hour early, have a sleep for an hour before <laughs> I come on the podcast. Uh, but Tom was like, "No, come on, let's do this." I was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah I got it, I got it, I got it." I yeah, it's because if we didn't do it, I was ended up falling asleep at some point. Like I literally worked my eight hours last night. I got home, started cleaning because I have a buddy coming over. He's going to help me do the floor finally because <clears throat> it's just been sitting there, just waiting to be done. And I don't. I, I need to see something done first before I attempt to continue to do it. Like I, I can't just watch a movie about this. Like usually I'll watch a YouTube video and I'll go from there. But like with something as like, you know, like a floor that needs to be properly done, I really need to get my hands on it and kind of like see somebody do it in front of me. So then after that, I can just continue to do it. No problems. So luckily enough, I got someone coming today and that's what's up. But I mean, in the meantime, I was like, fuck dude, I, we got like two hours before we even start doing anything. And our guests coming on too. Let's just do this now. And like, let's just start talking. And by the time that the guests come on, I'll be like, Oh my God, this is so great. Look at everything that's going on. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I'm, doing, yeah I'm doing a podcast later tonight as well. I'm doing with one with George Lugo. He's doing he's starting his own podcast where he interviews people. So he's he's asked me to be his first person. So I was like, okay. Really? Why not me? Because fuck you, Bruno. That's <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. The turtles that think that, you think that. Fucking it's it's hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yeah, the new uh, Echoes in Nature series yes. that's starting. I, I literally like did not check Facebook all night. And then I first time I checked Facebook, it's a sea turtle saying, fuck you, Tom Bruno. I was like, it's so true. Turtles hate me. I don't know why. I, be, I bet you that piece of shit turtle that I own fucking spreading nonsense about me. He's like, I've seen him fuck. 
He sucks at it. <laughs> I can tell the turtles. Oh, I like I like making them. They're fun. Uh, but let's 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 do something I've been dying to do f- for a long time. Dark for the last dark yeah, for the last eighteen months to a year, I have been avoiding every single trailer, every single bit of information, anything to do with the new Mortal Kombat movie. I wanted to do this going fresh, with not knowing anything about it. Right, I've it's been so hard to avoid spoilers. I've done a good job. I didn't, I didn't get it spoiled, thank God. Um, but last night, finally got to unpackage that bitch, and I gotta say, I loved it now so, I, so i'm sitting down with my wife who at first sort of an hour before was like did they make another more combat movie before did they and i was kind of like the fuck is this because i was explaining to her why this is very important to me mm-hmm. i was like okay so i loved more combat as a kid yeah. and then i remember we went and we rented more combat annihilation from the video store we brought it back oh no all this anticipation <laughs> And it was awful. It was awful. I was happy because I got to see Cyrax. Um, mm. I got to see, you know, a couple of things, but like it was that bad. But I still watched it like eight times. You know, you could have it for the whole weekend. We watched it at least twice every single day we had that video. And then we took it back on the Monday, you know, even though it was bad. And I, I, even at that age, at that age, I was kind of like, I wish they'd have done better. I wish it, they'd have done better, you know? Would you say, and I think it's funny that you say this because I'm going to add on to it. Would you say this is probably the first time you recognize that you're disappointed in a film? <clears throat> probably. Because <clears throat> I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I went and saw this in um, what we'd call the cheap seats. I don't know how it works over in the UK, but like back in the day, you know, movies would run in a movie theater for like a <clears throat> half a year or something, like six months. They'd stay up there for ever just cranking out money and then eventually right before they go on vhs or home video whatever have you dvd later on they would go to what we'd call the cheap seats and these movies like a normal movie back then was like eight bucks or some of that seven eight bucks the cheap seats were a buck fifty two bucks because once again they were coming you know they're going to be out in vhs in a couple minutes so i went and saw mortal Kombat annihilation with my like one of my oldest friends ben and I remember sitting there and I noticed the first thing wrong with it was Johnny Cage died within the first five seconds. The character that everyone loved in the first Mortal Kombat is dead. Like literally he's like, oh, I was on snap. And you're like, what the fuck? Just <laughs> what? And that that was a real kind of hit to my young heart. And then obviously, like, I think it was also the first time I recognized that they recasted someone because the girl from Billy Madison is Sonya Blade in the first one. And in this yeah. one, it's some um, rando. But they did get some people to come back. They got um, they got Luke Kane to come back. They got Ta- Katana to come back. Um, they even recasted Raiden. I, I noticed all of these things. I pulled that out of my ass as well last night because I was chatting to Shane. Shane was on the phone. And I was like, oh, yeah, more combat. And he's like, oh, who's the guy that, that played Raiden? I was like, Christopher Lambert. Yeah, it was. Out of nowhere. Yes. (laughs) And I was like, is that right? I'm pretty sure. I I had to go back and I was like, yeah, it's Highlander. Yeah. Yes, he is. Of course it was. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's totally Highlander. He is Highlander. The most whitewashed character (laughs) (laughs) in the history (laughs) of movies. It's like, we'll just get the whitest guy to play him as possible. Like, you know. Oh. Fucking, he was great as Raiden. He's got that raspy voice about him. It's, he's a good actor, man. I miss Christopher Lambert. Is he dead? Uh, I don't know. Don't think so. Do you think we should talk to him? Uh, Christopher Lambert. 
yeah, yeah, yeah like we we'd be able to get Highlander on our show. Oh, like we haven't gotten people that we never thought we'd be able to get before on the show. Because what's Christopher Lambert doing? A whole lot of nothing? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we totally won't get him. Sorry, I didn't realize he was so busy doing nothing. He's not dead yet? Nope. No? Okay, cool. Well, 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 we'll reach out. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get a... There, there can be only one on the show. I Okay, so I've got this... Uh, we will go into more Mortal Kombat talk, by the way. But my, I have been trying to get jo- uh, John Taffer on the show. I really want him. I've, me- I've messaged his people. This guy's a multimillionaire. Probably never get him on the show. But I never say never, right? Like I said, you got Billy we, West of you. We've had millionaires on the show before. You act like Brian Graydon was Is on the it show. A weird kinky thing that I want John Taffer to fucking just ruin me on the show. Just be like, who the yes. fuck do you think you are? I want to be dressed down by John Taffer and just fucking annihilated by him. I like it better uh, when you say ruin you because it sounds like he's going to fucking take your asshole. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, I think that would be a great soundbite, wouldn't it? Just be like, you know, just him just fucking go nuts at me. Like, yeah, that, that'd be an intro. The fuck um, is this? You something? What? <laughs> These guys, they a... think they're fucking great. They're not. They're not fucking good at all. <laughs> Why? I mean, like, so do you like Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, I like it when he goes mad uh, at people. Right. I mean, I know there's uh, a few controversy controversies with him. You know, so it, a lot of the restaurants he did with um, with Kitchen Nightmare. Uh, not a lot of them stayed open because they went back, resorted back to their old ways. So it wasn't really much of a success. And a lot of his restaurants, it seems to be a lot of TV chefs that just end up uh, getting becoming really unsuccessful. Jamie Oliver's the prime example. He had, oh, excuse me, he had a chain of really fancy restaurants across the UK. He's the famous Jamie Oliver, he's the naked chef, you know. Um, and um, his his restaurants started failing badly. He lost a lot of money doing it. Mm. Did John yeah. Taffer come and help him? Should have. Should have. Should have. Should have. Would have. Could have. Um. I mean, like I, the the problem with John Taffer, and there's nothing wrong with John Taffer. It's it's more so just like I don't like real TV like that because it's so set up. It's unfortunate in the same way that I don't like a lot of like the Ramsey stuff because it's just so set up. <clears throat> but once again, I like John um, Taffer as a person. I like him. I, I respect him as a business owner. I think he really does know his shit because he really seems to be able to turn a lot of business around. But like the situations they get put in, I'm just like, man, I really wish this wasn't on like a true TV because that's what channel it is over. What, what channel is it over there? Like, uh, it's on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Ah, all right, that makes sense. Fucking so, yeah. I mean, like I saw Bar Rescue when it first came out, and I thought it was pretty brilliant. Um, but yeah. Mortal yeah, Kombat. I like that. I like that. So that's that's who I'd like to get on. Um, but we have been speaking to um, Spirits of Bourbon. Bourbon? Spirits Bourbon. of Bourbon. Bourbon. Uh, it's one of the most famous bars he did with the blue glasses. They went on to be super famous uh, because they, they redesigned the skull glass that everybody fucking wanted. And um, I first heard about this bar. I vaguely remember like um, Eric Fluger talking about it. Uh, on a, a, a weekly bizarre, I think it was, and I didn't realize it was from Bar Rescue. I didn't realize I really didn't know. And then I, this episode came up. I was like, "This seems familiar." I was like, "Oh my god, this is the thing that fucking Eric was on about." And as soon as I mentioned that to Eric in the Usuk group, he was like, "I have got to be part of this. This is in, their work inspired me." Um, so I was like, "Okay." So if you know, we are speaking to the bar. They have got back to us. They say they did say they want to come on. So uh, it, you know, maybe we'll get the, the interview with them. Do they make their own? Do they make their own booze? 
Uh, no, I don't believe they make their own booze, but I think Bourbon, Bourbon Street, Bourbon, Bourbon, um, they have that. It's like everybody's got like a, their novelty glasses. Like you, you want to take something home with you because it's like a, a lot of tourists go there. Um, they they made a glass that was very similar to the one across the way. Um, they looked very similar. So John was like, you need your own signature glass. You can't just copy other people. And he made this blue glass that was like the shape of a skull. And it had lights and shit in it and stuff. And people just go there just for that glass. So I feel like the thing that people always want to bring home from Bourbon Street is an STD and not so much a glass. <laughs> Reminds me of Blackpool, man. Blackpool over here in the UK is like seaside town. Lots of really fucking tacky bars. But yours have a good time. Um Lots of drugs, uh, really fucking I, tacky women. I told <laughs> you I went to. I told you I went to Bourbon Street when I was like nineteen, right? Did you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was so weird. It was during my youth build days, and we were down in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, for a number of days doing Hurricane Katrina relief. And um, at the very end, they're like, "Yo, we're gonna go to Bourbon Street." So they literally unleashed a bunch of nineteen-year-olds and like eighteen-year-olds yeah. on Bourbon Street. And they're like, "Okay, we'll see you in a couple Just hours." Fucking and come everywhere. Just so much come. <laughs> the streets run with come. It's fucking insane. Well, there is a bunch of like red light district down there, so there's like literally ass and titties everywhere, and everybody, you can just walk around drinking. It's fucking insane down there. I remember years ago, I went I went to Hawaii uh, with my ex Carly. We were kids. So I was eighteen. <laughs> Um, 17? I don't know. Fucking hell. Oh. Um, and uh, we went on a horse and cart like late at night. We wanted to do it when it was really quiet and not your typical touristy times, you know? So we, we give the guy a few extra bucks and we were kind of like, just take us somewhere where you don't normally go. Uh, he's like, oh, I've got to be careful because there's only certain places we can take the horses. But I'll take you around the red light district. And he did. He took us. And there was just these transvestite hookers just everywhere. <laughs> And I was just like, wow, this is fucking great. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. You're like, whoa. I didn't see this on the brochure. Is yeah, that a was... dick? <laughs> oh, hey, honey. <laughs> did you did you have a three-way with a tranny hooker? Is, that, is this where the story and goes? And the horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so big. <laughs> Put him to shame him to shame <laughs> was that what happened you fucking yeah. pulled out your dick and the horse just dropped dead he's like no i i salute you whitely fucking <laughs> dies Amazing. so yeah from from the age of 18 i've been i'd been dying to 15 sorry i've been dying to watch this film more combat and mm. like i was trying to explain this to kaz it was like from the from that moment of this sucks to, I wish they'd make another movie. I wish they'd make another movie. I wish they'd make another movie. They finally made another movie, and I wanted to like properly like grease myself up, like you know, sort of uh, razor blade, shave my head, like clean shave my head, just dive straight in <laughs> and be absorbed by the fucking thing. Um, first of all, I'll start off with your thoughts, Tom Bruno. What did you did you enjoy it? Oh, I fucking enjoyed the shit out of that movie. I mean, like, I, I knew I kind of was going to just from the trailers alone. They they kind of hit on all the key points. I, I really loved Mortal Kombat. I loved the later games when they got really in-depth into the the backstory. I really enjoyed the, the cartoon TV series. Did you ever see the TV series that came out a few years ago, Conquest? No, I didn't see oh, the cartoon either. I know the you, games, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, Well... There was a trailer made um, a while back, and it actually kind of fits this movie. 
It was a fan-made trailer. It had Michael J. White. Are you familiar with him? He played yes. Spawn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Michael J. White. Um, he played Jax, and he had somebody in um, an interrogation room, and they were talking, and it was really, really cool fan-made trailer. And it, essentially, with the you know spoiler spoilers, what it leads up to is he's speaking to Scorpion in human form. And he's telling him that he needs him to join the competition to fight and stuff. And that's what led to Mortal Kombat Conquest. And that was a TV show. So that was excellent. The, the animated show kind of built the mythology. And that was back in the 90s. And this just added so much to it. It, made, it gave you a deeper appreciation for characters. Because I feel like in the first one, you kind of felt for Sub-Zero, right? Like everybody always kind of felt for Sub-Zero. Because we all know that Sub-Zero's brother was the good guy, blah, blah. So and of course, Sub-Zero became Noob Saibot. In this one, they do the flip-flop where you kind of care more about Scorpion than anything else. Like, I mm-hmm. felt like Scorpion was so crucial <clears throat> to this. Of course, not only to introduce the new character, but also because the it gave like a real deeper history of why Scorpion would try to escape hell to find Sub-Zero. It was fucking brilliant. But when it comes to like Japanese warlords, no one's really a good guy. A good guy, are they? One's a, no. like if one's gonna get away with taking some ter- territory by burning a fucking village down, they'll do it. Like so, neither of them are really good, neither of them are really bad. They'll do what they can to get there. Um, anti-hero. So kind of, sorry, anti-hero. Anti-hero is, I guess, yeah, the term yeah, that I'm yeah, best yeah. for. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember they did. When they relaunched Mortal Kombat as a game, do you remember they did that? They were like, oh, we'd give them weapons, new fighting styles. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. That was the relaunch of it. But you could play as one character and you'd go around like a map or something and you'd follow their storyline. And uh, they did one. For, I did the Scorpion one and it tells you all about Scorpion's story. Mm. And I was like, fucking dude, this guy's awesome. Because he's not quite evil. He's not quite good. He's kind of just really angry and he's really fucking got it in for Sub-Zero because he murdered his family. And that, that soon as, it, soon as I see that it starts off with Scorpion and the Sub-Zero story, I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh, give me more. And it was so brilliantly done. I just, I think that's awesome. Before um, we get too much farther into sucking the dick, I did have one kind of like, not issue with the movie, but I did have one thing that I kind of fell on. That I was like, oh, was that needed? And that was the tattoos or the burns, the birthmarks, whatever they are. I felt that yeah. that wasn't as needed as it, well, I mean, I, I that's why I kind of like the first one, because it was like this underground uh, fight to the death that everyone kind of heard about. And I feel like that's good enough. I don't think that they need to be drawn in kind of like a Highlander situation where it's like they're all drawn to this one area because it's in their birthright and all that type of stuff, which was still cool. But it wasn't needed per se. And that's like the only thing that I fell on that was like, uh, I don't think that was needed. Yeah, I get that. I don't know. I think I disagree, actually. Okay, that's it. fine. Tell me about I think, it. I think because like if you give someone this birthmark and they got this thing, and that they are, they are the warrior that's going to be present for this certain thing, um, mm. and they don't know about it, and they're unsuspecting, and they lose, uh, then it's the then the Earth Realm's fault for not training their warriors or letting them know or finding them or what have you. So I, I don't know. But I didn't, I, I didn't think it was... <laughs> I thought it was a bit cheesy that you could kill someone and then take the birthmark off them. I thought, well, then, could you imagine, like, if that was, like, a thing, there'd be a huge corporate thing where they'd, like, they'd round them all up and they'd get the biggest fighters and they just... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. It did, that didn't happen in the film. But, um, Dude, that would have been dope. Like, imagine, yeah. like, like the highest rollers that wanted to, like, get their fighters in. They would, like, you know, kind of like, oh, that would have been kind of cool. I would like to see that. Um, um, yeah. Ja- Jax as well. 
You know, she, she, yes. she, she seemed rocking up with arms. I was like, well, them arms are going to fucking go, aren't they? Like, <laughs> straight away, I was like, yeah, he's, like fucking, he's fucked. This guy's going to get his arms cut off or something. Like, <laughs> Yes, and it was so incredibly bloody. Like, um, somebody asked me, like, oh, can I watch this with my kid? I was like, no. I'm like, definitely don't watch this with your kid. This is not a kid movie. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to tell you what to do as a parent. This isn't me being like, oh, you can't do that. If my daughter really wanted to watch it, I mean, there's not like there's nudity in it, which is so weird, right? Because I'm like, oh, yeah, we can watch this together because it's bloody and we can watch Saw together or something. But I, I would be like, oh, there's boobies right there. Let's not watch that. Um, I think, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. But regardless, it, it was extremely bloody. And I love that they kind of took like characters from all years of mortal Kombat. it wasn't just the initial core mortal Kombat characters that we saw in number one the original one back in the 90s it was like literally they pulled from the later years they pulled from the new generation they pulled from the old generation they fucking pulled everyone number three when they got um um not cyrax who what, what's his not striker who what what's his name with the hooks um with the hook blades uh fucking shit um I used to love him in number three. Number three, he was like my favorite character in number three, and he was so annoying because you could just do that flip thing. Ugh, ugh, Cabal. Oh, so Cabal. Cabal, yes, Cabal, that was so good, so cool. Yeah. And he was, I loved that he was like uh, a bit of an asshole as well. Because yes, uh, but like I think the redeeming quality, the redeeming character was definitely Kano. Yeah. What a fucking character he was! Oh my god, absolute saving grace. Because Sonya, Sonya Blade, the one that played her, for, you know, whatever she, she can't act, terrible, but just fine. Wow, misogynist um, much? No, she can't act. But I kind of expected that. I kind of expected that from. A Mortal Kombat movie, you kind of need that, don't you? That kind of cheese. What do you think of Melina? I like Melina. Wow. You're really not defending your case. No, no, I recognize Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, she was great. She was totally The one person that made me jump out of my seat was Kung Lao. I was like, oh! He was my character, man. He was the guy I played with all the time with the hat. Bouncing the hat everywhere, man. Just fuck, you fight me as Kung Lao. You're dead, man. I'm going straight. You say that, but you've never fought me in you know Mortal Kombat, so I don't know what you're saying right now. Is this a throwdown? I mean, it really could be. Are we going to have to get Mortal Kombat X? We do have PlayStations. We could do this. Hmm. Take that sip. So fucking. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Does it taste like justice? It tastes like anticipation. Right, we need to do this. Right, guys, listening to this right now, if you want to take part in this, if she put an actual Mortal Kombat down, whoever's oh, character's got dope. character, whoever, whoever get. Fuck. Do you have one character? We start off with a tournament. And if your character dies, permadeath, you're out. All right, all right. So if, your favorite character playing with period was Kung Lao. Kung Lao and Scorpion. Because I was right. Scorpion. Oh, you're going to throw a second one there now. You're like, get over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get over yeah, here. Awesome. Get over here, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, Kung Lao, yeah. I like the ninjas. I was always a big ninja guy. I, I loved Reptile, of course. Um, I was... Cyrax was dope, and so was Sector, fucking Noob Saibot. Like, all these characters are just phenomenal. Oh, so good. Sector had, like, um, a rocket the, could fire out of his chest. Yes, and Cyrax had the net, right, and the green yeah. balls. Yeah, I, I, I like them, but I didn't like them in Annihilation. I think that was, like, the best part about Annihilation was them being added into it. Just to see him for a second, I was kind of like, yeah, that's it. That's all I need. Goodbye. Good yeah. to play, Mom. <laughs> Still good. Um, Striker has not been in any of them yet, right? Not the movies, no. 
No, I was trying to think of like he was such a weird character to have though because he's like it's a bit a like Casey Jones or... type character, isn't he? Yeah, like yeah, the... yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a really good observation. He is like a Casey Jones type of character. I like him because he had guns and shit, and he like wore the backwards bas- baseball cap and shit. He's like, I'm striker. Mm-hmm. Bam, I got a gun. <laughs> um, uh, I loved that they mentioned Bo Raichu by the way, because he was like one of my favorite characters in the later games. That was such a cool thing to mention, like that they because that was part of the lineage. If you played uh, Mortal Kombat Armageddon. I believe it was. That was a really, really cool one. Um, and you got to learn a lot more. Like you, th- I think that's actually the one you're talking about, right? You played it first. You played like third person mode of the character, and you'd run around and do different things as different characters. And that's where I learned all about Bo Raichu and how he trained uh, Kung Lao and Liu Kang and all those type of things. I mean, yeah. oh, another one as well that I used to love was Nightwolf because you become yeah, characters. Nightwolf was dope. Except that, except Annihilation where he sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did. I mean, the only grievance I have with this is that it wasn't an actual tournament. It was like, just a, it was just a free for all, wasn't it? Let's just see who who survives and stuff. But that was like the, I guess that was this generation of of tournament fighters uh, initiation into this. Yeah, um, it would have been great to have some past survivors, people that had fought it before and knew what they were expecting. You know, had like someone that was in the last tournament. But then again, Earth lost, didn't they, last one? So there wouldn't be any survivors, would there? There's no earthly survivors. And I think they... I like um, I like how they handled Goro. I thought that was a pretty excellent... Um, they they yeah. definitely did him justice. I'd like them to bring back... Yes, I'd like them to bring back Montaro again and actually do him some real justice. Because last time they did him, he looked like a pedophile. I didn't like that. He was just like... I'm going to have goats. My dick has a tail. <laughs> Want a lollipop? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's under my uh, hoof. Unpopular yeah. opinion. I didn't like how they did reptile. I would have liked. Neither did I. Neither did I. I, I, I would have liked him to fall down off the roof and then turn into the ninja. Yeah, that would have been better. Fuck it. That would have been so dope. Well, I mean, in the later ones, they did make him more of a reptile, which is fine, but he still had a mask, right? Like, he still had a mask, which was awesome as fuck. So I was kind of disappointed. And this is a couple the guy of guys. Monsters, Inc. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mike Lazowski? Or, no, the, um, the, 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 oh, the purple guy. With the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steve, Steve Buscemi's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's basically what he was. Essentially, I would agree with that. And, you know, it, it's okay, though, because we're also talking as a couple guys that had no hand in this movie. We, we thoroughly enjoyed it. So these are just, like, backhanded bitchy things from a couple of, like, diehard fans. So don't take it as, like, oh, we had problems with the movie. We loved the movie. And we, I enjoyed we both it. I really said, enjoyed yes, it. really enjoyed it. A movie hasn't made me jump off the sofa like that. It's probably since, like... Infinity War, I'd say. Uh, yeah. You know, when everybody came out the portals and stuff, I was like, oh, yeah. you know, um, I, to, to feel like, to jump off my seat and go, oh, it's fucking Kung Lao, bitch. You know, that was, uh, I was good. And then when Kano got his fucking eye thing as well as laser, I was like, ah, now he's fucking Kano. I didn't like that. I th- always thought that Kano got his laser eye from the addition of the part in the skull, not from his eye itself. That was like, and that goes back to the birthmark thing that I wasn't too incredibly fond of. It's like, oh, because you have this ability, you can now fucking, you know, get powers and shit. I thought it was just like, you know, happenstance. We, they kind of got these powers no matter what, because they live in a different fucking universe. Yeah, and then Sonya Blades is kind of like, oh, yeah, it's courtesy of Kano. Blur, purple shit, purple shit, purple yeah, shit, purple shit. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. kind of disappointed in that. Um, I, don't think, I don't think Kano's dead. 
Like I said, no, other, no, other stop. Did you see that fucking um, post that Graham Arnold posted? Um, like right afterwards, he's like, uh, the actor who played Kano uh, hurt his back while filming from carrying the movie. I was like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I think there was just somewhere, there is somewhere there's an um, Aussie man uh, doing a commentary on Kano. Um, nice. Which would be good because I thought, I don't know if he's Australian. Hold on, I've got him up here. Uh, Josh Lawson, is he actually Australian? Oh yes, yeah, it's Australian. So you know, like you know who would have made a better Kano? I can tell you who would have made a better Kano. Take a guess. Who would who would I think would be a better Kano? Steve Buscemi. Yes, Steve Buscemi <laughs> would have made an ultimate. No, Carl Urban should have put Carl Urban in it. Fucking Carl Urban should be in everything. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he's got a cunty vibe. A really good cunty vibe though. You know, yes. He's kind of yeah, yeah. Pulls off. I, I, no. Like essentially, you take uh, Billy from the boys and just give him an Australian accent. It's it's Kano. I think I think it was um, really brave of him not to use any big stars though in this. Really, because yes. like you know, every sort of franchise, you know, you can either throw in big stars and have them become like you know the the draw into it, or you can create new stars with a brand new franchise. Um, I don't think this is going to be a massive thing. I think probably the sequel will probably not be as good um but we have a more combat franchise now and i'm yes. happy about that you know this well, is for HBO the fans max. isn't it you know fuck everybody yes, else and they have all yeah. the money right now do hbo max did the little the little project that they're everyone's like dude no one's gonna sign up for hbo max like it's just there's already so many streaming events and what do they buy up why are they buying up all these old properties and all of a sudden they just start dropping bombs the Snyderverse, fucking they drop uh, mortal Kombat, they drop godzilla versus kong like hit after hit after hit and it, it doesn't seem like they're gonna stop so i don't know if you can say really if it's going to be good or bad at this point because the way that hbo max is kind of controlling their their programming i would say it might get better i mean, seem very fan hasbro driven. buying fucking defro records <laughs> what yeah i'm pretty sure that's right get the fuck yeah. out of here no way hasbro bought defro records what are they doing with it uh, Hasbro acquires famed rap label Defro Records for four billion dollars, which means uh, <laughs> Suge Knight's going to come out of prison. Uh, very happy. <laughs> kill people. He's going <laughs> to kill a Transformer. <laughs> fucking. What are they going to do? Have Soundwave play some play some old Tupac albums or something? Like I don't understand what the fuck's going to happen with this. It says here, Hasbro, which owns the rights to My Little Pony, Monopoly, and Mr. Potato Head, I said the company was looking to expand family brands and television production with the purchase. Death, does death fucking grow? That makes no sense to me. I, like, when this happen? Uh, Defro Records, a division. When was that? What was that thing? 2013. Forever. What? Mm-hmm. so they like on the sly bought death row records and they're like yeah we want more family friendly broadcasting and i haven't seen anything from it yet i i wonder how they're going to make their money back off that okay so what it is is they've bought the uh, e1 e1's a big thing the acquisition of e1 as beloved story-led global family brands that deliver strong operating returns to Hasbro's portfolio and provides a pipeline of new uh, brand creation driven by a family-orientated storytelling. So they've bought the company that owns um, Death Row, so it's not quite... Uh, yeah, they haven't gone, yo, uh, 
You know, uh, you remember back in the day when Suge Knight was like running people over and shit, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, causing a fight at the uh, uh, the BET Awards and all that sort of shit. Yeah, we we want a piece of that cut pie. It, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised they didn't get it for cheaper. I mean, you'd imagine that. I mean, like obviously they bought a whole different thing that just happened to have Death Row Records too. But like, like Death Row, what was the last album they put out? Like Snoop Doggy Dog or something along those lines? No way they put out anything in the last twenty years. Um, it says here that the iconic label, um, however, filed for a bankruptcy in two thousand six after a series of lawsuits and the imprisonment of Suge Knight. It has since. Changed hands several times. Uh, ended up with Entertainment One, or E1. It was bought for $280 million, according to Rolling Stone. How great would it have been if Dr. Dre would have bought it? Like a yeah. real fuck you, because I, if anyone remembers their rap <clears throat> history, uh, The Chronic was produced on Death Row Records. It was uh, Dr. Dre's first album. Suge Knight helped produce it. He's actually the one that kind of snared him away from NWA. You know, he told him, it, like, the, it, was a, it was a very smart play by Suge Knight because Dr. Dre is a phenomenal producer and as well as a rapper. Um, he, he tempted him away, and then he got him signed with Death Row. He makes The Chronic, and then he fucks him for all the money that he made and you know he doesn't work with them ever again then he ends up putting the chronic 2001 that's why it's not called the chronic 2 it's called the chronic 2001 because he couldn't make the chronic 2 um but that would have been like real poetry if dr j would have been like fuck you now i bought your company bitch not for 280 million though he bought it for like chump change oh, like, yeah, it's yeah. 50 bucks here you go it's mine now didn't fuck he you. didn't he get like some obscene amount of money from for beats from apple i mean that was eight billion or something Wow. Four or eight billion, but yeah, Dre deserves it though, man. I f- who doesn't? Oh love yeah, Dre. Fucking. I don't know. I was listening to uh, the Marshall Mathers LP as we got on because I bought it on record because I'm a hipster, and uh, bitch please is on there, and I was like, oh fucking old Dre, man. That's what's up. An old exhibit. An old yeah, Marshall man. Mathers. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of like noughties music and stuff, and I, 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 have I you? Fi- I wonder I why. Have. I wonder why, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of Eminem's been. He made some really fucking good music, man. Early, hmm. early, hungry Eminem was good. Yes. When he ran out of things to rap about, maybe not so much. Even now, he's kind of just like, Duh. you've heard it all before, haven't we? You know, when he picks a disc with someone, all this fucking Machine Gun Kelly stuff, it's like kind of like. Which way he's going to shuffle words around this time, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not like his skill has changed. His skill is still there. And I would I would be one to argue that his skill has increased since then. But I think that I agree with you. The Hungry Eminem is a much better Eminem, um, especially those first, like, three albums. Those first three albums are just something magical because he was still, you know, held down, right? Like, up until the Eminem show, Nobody believed in Eminem except Dr. Dre, and nobody, everybody talked shit about him. It wasn't until after the Eminem show that everyone started really giving him the respect that he deserves as a lyricist. Just the same time, he got fucking uh, hooked on sleeping pills or wherever it was. He was sleeping. It's just like, I'm like, okay. So this guy's. No. <laughs> starts rapping about fucking bag type, bagpipes from Baghdad and shit. Like, yeah, I did not. What was that, Encore? I did not dig that album. That was just not my jam. Recovery was a fucking hell of an album. Really? I loved Recovery. Oh, is that Recovery the one with I'm Not Afraid, I'm Not Afraid? Yeah. I, I actually listened to that song when I was getting off drugs one time, and it actually really does help. It's it's interesting how music really does 
kind of like change things for you because I did listen to that song quite a bit when I was trying to get recovery myself. It was a great album. And it was also like his makeup to a lot of like artists. I really respect at the time when he was making up with Dre with Kanye West, at least old Kanye West. Like that first Kanye West album is still something so special two, to me. The first two albums. Phenomenal. The, f- the second one's not bad at all. I, I definitely like the flashing College lights. Dude, flashing lights is a great song. Flash. Lights, lights. No, there was the high school dropout, college dropout. Yes. yes. And then there was the weird shit. That he yeah, eight oh eight and heartbreaks and all that. That was so fucking. I think it was like he was. I think he was just trolling people because it was like, yeah, I'm just gonna make uh, an album with farmyard animals making noises <laughs> and stuff. Like, it's not, dude, okay, those like. dude. Uh, that song with most deaf though. Um, what is that? Um, two way. Fuck, what's that song called? Um, it's it's the most deaf Kanye West song. It's um it's it's a phenomenal song. If nobody's familiar with the, Al- the Alpha Step Omega Step, no, that's I a great know. song too. That's a great song too. I love that album. I think that's probably one for your LP actually. LP collection. That the uh, oh, hundred percent. It's it's definitely on my Amazon list. I just ordered the CCR Greatest Hits and uh, the some Kanye West Hill, some Blue for Ventress, a little yeah. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> Through the Wire, that was the first song I ever heard by Kanye West. And that was just something incredibly special because he has such a deep voice because he's obviously talking like this the whole time because he got in a bad car accident. Um, I love that. I love uh, trying to catch the beat. Now, now, throw, throw, throw your motherfucking hands. Get them high. Oh, dude. The workout so... song. <laughs> dude, the workout song's great. Everything on that fucking album is great, dude. Jesus yeah. walks, dude, please. I don't even believe in Jeebus, but I love that song. I remember um, watching an interview of him, and he's like, "Yeah, that song's about me selling drugs. People loved it, but it was, it's all about me shopping rocks and shit." Like, I was like, "Okay." <laughs> oh god, yeah. Uh, Let's talk I more mean, about I- rap. That was great. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so, out of ten, what'd you give Mortal Kombat then? Um, easily a seven. It was a really great introduction to the actually. To no, series. I'm gonna change that because I've been doing like gradings, letter gradings. I'm gonna give it. B plus. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent of B plus. Almost like two points away from an A minus. I would absolutely go with that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the number thing doesn't work for me. It's got to be gradings now. Um, uh, like it's but, a piece yeah. of meat. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I just I just feel like <sighs> that, that was definitely made for us kids, I think. I think that, that, that I mean, you give that to uh, the younger generation now, more combat that, that I've played the newer games that aren't quite in a fair with the, the history and what it felt like to be sort of locked in all summer with Mortal Kombat trilogy uh, and, and just like just bouncing on it every day, you know, and then watching the movies and wishing there was more. And, you know, mm. I just, I, I love that. And the, all the different ninjas, you're right, like rain and smoke. and Yeah. Oh, I forgot about rain. Rain's in there too. Oh my God. Yeah. Fucking, I don't know. I, I actually, I will take back um, the night wolf scene where he throws the hatchet at fucking Liu Kang is pretty excellent. He's like, how do I do that? He's like, oh, you'll see. Bam, right in the fucking dome piece. Um, we got guests coming on in like a couple minutes. Do you think we should uh, end this so we can uh, so we can get ready for our guests, take a pee and all that type of stuff? Uh, we can do. It'd make editing a little bit more difficult. Oh, we can just keep going. We can just leave it on. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I just wanted to take a piss. You go for a week oh. if you want, and uh, I can tell people about um, other stuff that's going on in Usuk. Uh, we'll cool. do that go now. I got my headphones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so while uh, Tom Bruno is going to go and uh, caress his penis gently and aim it at his uh, his, his white basin of uh, 
Oh, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going with this. Okay, you suck. Uh, we've got loads going on here. We, we, the Weekly Bazaar uh, has now ended, for my era at least. Uh, I did my last one last week. Um, it was released as a podcast the following Friday. Um, and, um, yeah, so that, that's gone on hiatus at the moment. TS and uh, David Raby are going to be doing something with it. Um, watch this space. Uh, you also have Yusuk Chronicles. Um, uh, the only artwork I've got here is for uh, the interview they did with Riff Carez. They were on, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, School of Rock. Yes, they were on that. Uh, Jamie Westwood and Tom Stevens do an amazing job on that show and they've got some amazing guests to come. So you should definitely give them some support. I've got a burp in me trying to talk through it. It's not good. Uh, you suck um, live as well. Um, that's every Wednesday. Imagine if uh, you could sit in the pub with us and have a chat and a catch-up from the week. Well, that's what that is. That's what Yusuk Live is. Um, make sure you catch that every Wednesday at 9pm BST or um, I think that is 4pm uh, Eastern Time. Um, and you know what? Every Thursday I do a radio show um, on Splash Damage Radio. If you go to splashdamageradio.co.uk uh, and go, there's like an app you can sort of download from there called Zen, Zen Zeno app. Uh, you can subscribe to the, the radio station there, and you can be you can listen to it in your car. You know, when I'm doing this show at eight o'clock, it seems like a weird time to do a radio show, but that's kind of like when people are chilling at home in the UK, uh, over the other side of the pond, it's at five o'clock, so that's drive time, you know, coming back from work. And then the other side, three o'clock, picking your kids up from school in, in LA. So that's the perfect time for everybody to sort of listen to it. Um, so that's Thursday, 8 p.m. every week. That's Naughty Talk. Um, and that's all Naughty's music with a nervous guy pushing buttons and twiddling knobs and trying not to break stuff. And the crazy thing is, Alice, with the exception of Naughty Talk, which I recommend everybody go check out, um, you can find all these things on our amazing website at usucknetwork.com. Yes, hey, guys, yeah. if if you like our shows at all and you just want to you wish there was a place where you could go and just find them all and just, you know, download them, listen to them, gotta subscribe to them. them gotta catch them all. You suck network. Um, if you want to do that, there's one place to go, and that's the you suck network.com. It is an amazing website built by us for our good friends over at weborchard.com. Weborchard.com, guys, is an amazing website building service. It is run by our good friend Pete White. We've had him on the show before. Um, I've said lots of things about Pete White, but the truth is always the best. I'm gonna go with the truth. Um, he is a very, very smart individual who had a brilliant idea, which is he wanted to help everybody around the world by giving them a great online presence. I don't know if you sell things. I don't know if you have an OnlyFans. I don't know what you have going on in your life, but guess what? If it's online based, you need a good web page. It's not good enough just to have it all over social media. You kind of get lost in the, you know, the ocean that is everyone. So if you want to make a splash, hey, hey, um, you need yourself a website. So if you like the usucknetwork.com website, check that out first just to see what it's all about. Um, you should definitely reach out to webwatch.com and they're going to build you an amazing website because they are professionals. They are the professional professionals in fact i'm pretty sure that he started the internet if i'm not mistaken alex right which is two pieces of wood i hear two pieces of wood he rubbed them together and all of a sudden the internet came out it was fucking crazy i don't know That's how he web orchard <laughs> sorry oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah good stuff uh, we'll do that now we don't do it at the end of the show we do all that stuff um also as well uh, lots of uh, lots of positive stuff coming about the uh the 24-hour podcast uh challenge that i'm going to be doing um hey so i'm going to be doing a podcast live from 9 a.m on the 29th of september till 9 a.m on the 30th of september 24 hours non-stop live 
Uh, we're going to be doing 12 hours, sort of 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. It's going to be um, uh, Shrewsbury Biscuit. So that's all going to be uh, 12 hours of pure sh- 12 guests. Uh, we, we'll get Lingan Davis on to talk. Uh, we'll, we'll speak to some fabulous people who got local to Shrewsbury and maybe some guests as well. We're working on trying to get some celebrities as well. And then at 9 p.m., the sort of lights dim a little bit um, and we start the 12 hours run of Yusuk, which is going to be really good. Um, we've got some amazing ideas, actually. Uh, Ling and Davis want to come on for that as well. Uh, talk about because uh, they are a cancer support charity uh, local to, to Shrewsbury. And the idea of this is with this microphone, with this voice and with the things that me and my beautiful teammates from both the Biscuit and Yusuk, uh, the resources we've required over the, the time we've worked together is to call in those resources, the favours that people owe us, uh, the people that come on our show, the, you know, the people that love what we do is get them back on Try and raise some money. We'll have a donate button. We're going to do some auctions. I've been trying to work on a two-hour stand-up comedy set uh, that we're going to we're going to try and compare. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, you know, and it, and also it's in partnership. Well, not in partnership, but we're doing it in, in uh, to coordinate with International Podcast Day, which is on September the thirtieth. Spoke to the guys from International Podcast Day, and they are really excited about what we're doing. They're well up for it. They want to come on our show and talk to us as well. So yeah, that's what that's, that's what that's all about. I've met with Lincoln Davis this week. They're very excited. They were like, "We are so happy that you've chosen us to do uh, to do this with." Um, and <laughs> she was really cool as well, Anna. She was like, "This is big, Alex. This is going to be big." And I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. okay." I need to talk to you about this fucking interview, by the way, um, because it was very odd. I'll tell you at the end of the show. I'll tell you in front of my guests, so we can make them last because they're here. Um, here are Rory and Ryan. Thank you very much for joining the show, guys. Thanks for having us. us. Yeah. yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch the yeah, background because a bit of OCD and all that, you know. Aha! Look at that. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, guys. How, how are you? Mic- you good? Good, good. Yeah. How's yeah. the mic volume? Can you hear us? Yeah. We can hear you well. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm Alex, and this is Tom. Yes. Alex. Hello. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that... Pleasure to meet you, gentlemen. I'm the one that uh, reached out to you, or, uh, Vermont, to Vermont, you know, all that type of good stuff. And interestingly enough, I was on uh, like a vacation of sorts. I was on a staycation because I was still in the state, but I was at a hotel with the family and uh, we were down at the pool. My mom had the seven days out, um, this right here. And I was just kind of reading it and I was just, you know, strumming through it, looking for the comics because we actually have some pretty okay comics for being a local paper and your guys article was like literally right there and it caught me you know not it, it, it got my attention for one reason one reason only it said psych uh, psychedelic solution and i was you know being a guy that's been around the block as much as i have and i've you know tried to dabble with a little bit of this a little bit of that trying to like figure out my life as we all do it interested me because i've been always an advocator for the benefits of taking things like psilocybin and, you know, in certain circumstances like DMT, depending on what it might be or what you're trying to accomplish in your life. And through reading your article, I realized that you guys had an experience as well. And that's why I wanted to bring you on. Do you want to, do you want to tell us about that? Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You want to start yours or should I start it off? Uh, you go ahead. I'll jump in as, uh, as you progress in whatever you. All right. Well, Sorry. I, uh, first time I had a psychedelic experience, I was 23. I avoided them because I believed the propaganda that you would lose your mind or all these terrible things. So all through high school, I partied and used 
alcohol and other drugs, got prescribed Adderall and Adderall became actually the most destructive drug I had a relationship with over time and really exacerbated my depression. So then at like 21, actually 23, I was trying to get, I dropped out of college, trying to get off Adderall, trying to stop drinking. And I went to the doctor, a neurologist, and the only thing she could provide for me was more pharmaceuticals. And I went that path before and I wasn't trying to go back there. They didn't really help the problem. They just kind of put a bandaid over it. And so she pretty much said, if these pharmaceuticals don't work for you, there's nothing I can do. And I left that, left that office feeling more hopeless than ever. And I was like, well, what do I do now? And that's when I started researching some stuff on my own and found these, uh, these studies out of Johns Hopkins and uh, Imperial College of London, where they, they were using uh, psilocybin for depression. And I was, you know, at the end of my rope. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to try this. You know, uh, I ended up growing some psilocybin myself and had my first experience at 23. And it was a beautiful experience. And it was also very frightening and terrifying at the same time. And uh, I, uh, came out of that with this feeling like, oh shit, this feeling of existential dread, like what am I doing if I'm just going to be depressed my whole life and by the t- when I eventually die, at you know, whenever that comes, I will look back with tremendous regret and feel like I wasted uh, an incredible opportunity at life. So it's kind of like a kick in the pants and I started to try and make some changes and uh, things got better for a while. And it didn't like cure it, cure my depression. I, I still struggled with depression and I relapsed into patterns and fought with it for a few years. And then at around that same time, Rory was struggling with his, uh, with opiate addiction. And I was thinking, you know, these psychedelics could potentially help him. So I, uh, confronted Rory and I was like, you should try this. Maybe it could help. And, um, he was reluctant at first, but he did. You want to tell a little bit about, um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you guys get 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 what Ryan's his story? You yeah, know, you follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get yeah, it. I mean, I'll tell, okay. So let's. I'll tell you about a bit about our background. So, I I'm not a drug taker. I'm I I I, I drink and fucking. I, I do you know what? Any more than life itself for me would probably be too much. Whereas Tom. Uh, He's he's a bit more he's more relaxed, you know. He's, he's, he grows bit. his own weed, smokes his own weed. He's been there, he's done that. He's like he's told me many times, "Oh, I'm doing mushrooms at the weekend. I can't wait," you know, stuff like that. That's that's fine. It's true. I'm not here as a cynic, as a guy to judge. I'm here as a guy to understand because I'm I'm very um, I'm easy going with these sort of things, uh, you know, because I understand that you know uh, when it comes to what what you're talking about, Ryan. Um, is getting off hard drugs that are possibly going to kill you to drugs that are going to possibly uh, make things a lot easier for you. There's there's a difference there, isn't there? Yeah. Especially yeah. considering that the culture that we live in right now is a pharmaceutical culture. Everything gets solved with a bottle of pills. And I can tell you right now that my wife, 
um, she was diagnosed with very severe ADHD as a kid. And their solution, when I first met my wife, uh, they had her on, um, I think, like 80 milligram Concerta or something along those lines, like just obscene and like Ritalin to back that up as the fast yeah. acting. And it was just yeah. obscene amounts of amphetamine. They're pumping through this like 16 year old girl and she was a zombie. Like she had no real personality about her. And it was, it was really like disgusting to me. And I never once you said, you have to get off this stuff. She came to that realization later on in her life yes. after she uh, struggled for so many years with it. Finally, um, I got her into cannabis. Like I was like, hey, this is what I do. Like this is how I relax. And since that day, she hasn't been on anything like she just you know she's one of the most successful people i've ever met in my life she manages a dental office she is a very very smart lady and you know especially because she married me um oh, and yeah, that's the kicker is that she married yeah. you so that makes her really intelligent super Tom. smart <laughs> super smart the smartest lady i've ever met in my life she is so intelligent i gotta tell you wife me. the best decision you ever made in your life was marrying Marry me, me of course yeah exactly yeah. exactly I, i'll get that tattooed on me at Fucking some point shit. i'll put it on my grave so <laughs> oh my god so anyways um so i have that little bit of knowledge and i also so um, I've always kept my ear to the ground when it comes to alternative medicines. I, I've always felt that the way, especially after the opioid epidemic, when with uh, Oxycontin back in the early 2000s and stuff, I was like, wow, this is really a bigger problem than leading on. Yeah. And especially with all the pill farms and everything else that was going on. So when they started making, you know, not at the time, crazy announcements, they were like, hey, psilocybin is being used to help treat PTSD. Hey, psilocybin is being used to help kind of rewire people's brains to the point where they can actually live functional lives. Hey, people that you respect and know are microdosing uh, little bits of psilocybin to do every single day. And these are some of the most powerful individuals in the world that we just had no <laughs> idea about. And not so just Bradley Cooper. No, not just Bradley <laughs> Cooper. It wasn't limitless. It was fucking everybody else in the world. Um, oh, so. Yeah. So yeah. I, I imagine like it obviously like and I have also um, I also have an experience with being addicted to opioids. You know, that was uh, that was a thing that happened. Um, so I completely feel where you're coming from. man. so where does um, where's psilocybin or where does um, this journey kind of take you from there to where you are now? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I do think it's important to note that like the pharmaceutical uh, like from my point of view, the pharmaceutical crisis that we have is massive and um it's huge so anyway uh you know i struggled with uh it, it, when i got out of high school i wasn't really sure what, what i wanted to do with my life my uh one of my really close friends had um died and i was surrounded kind of surrounded by the drug culture um uh, most of my friends had gone off to college and the ones that hadn't that stayed around were, you know, hooked on opiates. And so it wasn't like a conscious decision. I wasn't like, all right, I want to get on opiates, but I just kind of fell into it. Um, just hanging around and, and not making, um, I don't know, a definitive decision for myself on what I want out of life. So I just kind of fell into it. And so I <clears throat> struggled with opiates, you know, um, started, started with Oxycontin and, uh, quickly went to, you know, heroin. And I, so yeah, so I struggled with that for, you know, 10 years and I was, um, on methadone for seven years and, um, which is another kind of absurd thing is that the way that they treat opiate addiction is by giving people another opiate that the pharmaceutical company is making money off of. That's their treatment. It's, it's not even a treatment. They call it, it's a maintenance 
therapy. It's not designed to get you off of opiates. It's designed yeah. to reduce harm. And to, to speak on like uh, how you brought up Oxycontin in the early 2000s, you can go on YouTube right now and look up Oxycontin commercial and you can see the way that they try to portray the Oxycontin. It's as if it's a complete miracle drug. It's it's insane with, with no side effects. With, with no side effect, right? And and I I appreciate the fact that you brought up uh, methadone, and I also put in that group uh, bup. Uh, bupamorphine is another yeah. one of those things that they kind of felt they're like. And I don't know how big that type of culture is over there for you, Alex, but like over here, their solution to curing the opioid epidemics by giving them their own drug that is going to hook you. Yeah. And like I know plenty of friends that like take this every single day, and they kind of withdraw and they don't talk to me they don't say anything they don't want to be anywhere they just want to stay home all day which is so weird to me because these are people that we used to go outside and do shit every single day so it's so strange to me I, I wondered what changed about them in their patterns that made them like this and it all kind of stems back to methadone and here's the other kicker about that is if you mess up alex when you're taking methadone like you go to the clinic every day they give you methadone or if you're a good enough patient you know good enough um which is so bonkers um they will start giving it to you for, to bring it home with you and you can maintain it yourself but if you mess up alex even once they shut you off they leave you alone and this is like like i don't know how far you were into it but like i know plenty of people that got cut off because they made a mistake or they went out and they partied one night on accident or not even accident they're like oh fuck it why not and then they get shut off and they're left back on the streets at square one again they have no real solution for you when it comes to this so when it comes to what the government or what everyone else's plan is to help maintain this this uh, crazy epidemic we have going on wh at what point does alternative medicine come in for you oh i think alternative medicine is needs to be explored and needs to be studied hugely mm -hmm. because the way the format that we have like you were just talking about um it's not like you say you had friends that were outgoing and whatnot. They get on methadone, oh, yeah. and they kind of withdraw from life. Like that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I would come home, you know, I'd get up early, go to the clinic, get my dose, come home, and sleep on the couch for three, four hours. And yeah. then our relationship over the past six years, when he was on it, it just completely disintegrated because it was. It's almost like he just has a complete wall up, and there's no emotion. There's yeah, just I mean, a facade. And ultimately, uh, that's what the methadone was providing for me was, you know, I, I don't have to deal with anything. I can just kind of flow. And another crazy thing float is float on you know, yeah, it's throughout life. I guess. They say I originally remember when they were saying, like, should you get on methadone? They were saying, like, it'll prevent you from getting high on heroin and other things, which maybe initially was true. But by the end of it, you're using crack and heroin every day with being on methadone, which is just. Yeah. The, there is um, like that, you know, that's the that's the hope or whatever is like if you get on methadone, you're not going to get high. That's not true. I was on a hundred like I was on a, a very high dose of methadone. And I was on 160 milligrams, which uh, I've only met like one or two other people in my life that were on that high of a dose. And I was still getting high. I mean, oh, yeah. It's it's amazing to me that they feel that this is a solution to anything at all, and and it at the, obviously like if you look at the profit margin that's made from these drugs that they are giving out to people to help maintain their you know past demons, it's obscene. They're making incredible amounts of money, and it really kind of shows a light on why things like psilocybin, ayahuasca that have been around for you know thousands of years that people have used to benefit their lives. Um, it really kind of shows why they're still trying to hold some of these things down because they're like, oh, no, you're just going to go and party. But it's like 
the evidence doesn't point to that. The evidence points to anyone that's actually done any of these type of therapies. Um, they actually get better. And I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of where your guy's story kind of leads to. Yeah. And, and I, I could see how that could be a scare, uh, scary to like big pharmaceutical companies or whatever, whoever's providing the methadone or whatever it is, because mm. if yeah. you have to improve your life, then I mean, that's not, Virtually, uh, virtually all of the funding for addiction treatment goes towards maintenance therapy like methadone and suboxone. And that's coming from the government, which is coming from our taxpayer money. When we know from studies that the, the biggest factor in addiction often is disconnection, disconnection from uh, a support structure and a social structure that really cares about you. But there's virtually, I wouldn't say none, but there's very little effort and funding that goes into building up that infrastructure and making it so addicts have a purpose and um, not just a job, but like something they actually care about and, and want to connect with other people and build a community around. And like, for me, I would just be like, I, I just want to say to the government, like just put maybe 10, 20% of this funding, this millions of dollars that you're putting into methadone and, and stuff and just put it into some alternative treatment and, yeah, the alternative treatment that we found was psychedelics, well, but that's not the only. It's know. more than just psychedelics. And yeah. So I mean, I, I, like I said, I struggled with you know heroin for ten years and methadone mm. for seven years, and my brother was talking to me about psychedelic therapies, and I immediately was like, "There's," in my mind, was like, "No, there's no way." First of all, I knew if I took something like that, I'd have to probably deal with some of my shit that I didn't want to deal with. I mean, if I'm being honest, I didn't, I don't think I consciously realized that in the moment, but looking back, it's pretty clear. Um, and then also I was like, the, okay, I take this, this, you know, drug and then I have to, it was just, a, I didn't have any expectations. Like I was like, no, uh, I'm not, it's not going to help. So I was like, eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I had a one ayahuasca experience and overnight stopped using, which is unbelievable for me because I was using every single day. What do you think? What do you think was the cause of that? Then, why do you think it all of a sudden? Do you think your brain was suddenly rewired, and all of a sudden you didn't need the heroin? What was all that? What was that? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I still need to look deeper into that issue clearly, but uh, <laughs> or that topic. It's, I just think Which, it's fascinating. I think it's, you know. Yeah, I, 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 there was something. Okay, so, um, I'll just tell you. Like I was, it was on Thanksgiving Day. It didn't, wasn't planned on Thanksgiving day. It was just Thanksgiving morning. I was finally like, fuck it. I'm going to take it today. So, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can swear. I was like, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to take it today. Cause they've been, my brother's been on my back for a while trying to get me to take this. Uh, I took it and, you know, uh, sat around for like two, three hours. Didn't hit me, which is odd. Cause it's supposed to work within like 30, 40 minutes. Um, Ryan was with me the whole time. He leaves, he, he gets up to go downstairs, you know, to join to, the dinner, to join dinner and help you know get Thanksgiving re dinner ready, and as soon as he walks out the door, I start feeling it. Uh, I start feeling the effects of the ayahuasca, and I was like, "Oh shit, okay, now I'm feeling it." <laughs> and then and then and then there was like a split second decision, or not split second, but it was like within a couple minutes, I had to make this decision: Am I gonna, you know, I had a big beard, a scruffy looking like long hair, you know, track marks on my arm. Um, scared, sh uh, scared to shit to go downstairs and face my family. But there was something about the ayahuasca itself 
to me, that was so nurturing and um, nice. Yeah, just a, just a, a nurturing. Feel like everything is okay. Well, yeah, it just made, it it didn't just make me feel like everything was okay. It, it I literally like there was something that came over me. It was like everything's okay. Something that I hadn't felt in over ten years. Um, it'd be it'd be one thing if it was just you saying this, but if you look at the countless amounts of people that have actually reported on going on ayahuasca trips and coming back out of it, not being alcoholics, not being into the drugs, it, it's it's an astounding amount of people, and that's what people are searching out right now, and it's one of the problems with a lot of people not actually looking into this type of treatment. Now, Alex, you work with um, disparate youth in the UK. That's that's one of his jobs. He He's a really good guy, and he takes care of people, and he helps people, you know, get back on their feet and stuff what's the what's the experience with opioids over where you live is this a is this anything like what we're talking about um well i can i i'll i haven't I, I've, I've dealt with it a couple of times and work but like i'll answer you as a bystander because yes. I've, i i grew up around drugs too uh my my ex-stepbrother was a dealer and i would sit around while he's cutting up nine bars you know Just, like that's that was kind of what i grew up with um, the only the only thing is was I was told uh, don't touch anything that wasn't uh, made naturally, you know. So we I used to smoke a hell of a lot of weed. Um, it's more yeah. it's my wife that, that that helped me sort of didn't help me, but I don't smoke weed out of honor for her. She's from Colombia. She's lived around the drugs all Pablo Escobar that kind of the, everyone from Colombia, you know, has that shadow hanging over him. Mm. So she stays away from drugs and she doesn't like it. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll I'll do that for you, you know, and I do that for her. Um, I do sometimes think, oh, it would be nice to sit down and have a joint sometime, but I don't have honor of her. But um, I grew up in a town in Wrexham that had a, still has a very bad drug problem, you know, and uh, we would see a lot of heroin addicts queuing up outside the chemist to get their methadone, um, and sort of wobbling around the streets and stuff. You, it was just something you'd always see. Um, and it is a problem, serious problem. Um, and, you know, my heart goes out to anybody that's battled like you have, Rory, uh, and, you know, come out the other side. Because I see people like you as a hero. You've fucking done it. You've shown people that you can do it. Um, and that people hearing this on this podcast will be inspired by that. Uh, so you may actually save someone's life. You know, someone might hear this and go, I'm going to do what Roy's doing. Fuck it. Fuck. You know, and that's what I find interesting about doing these Good. sort of investigational sort of podcasts. Let's talk about these things. Yeah. How did you save your life and how can you help I others go on the same path? Cool, man. I think I, I need to like look a little deeper and figure it figure it out because when I get on camera, it's hard for me to talk about it because yeah, I said, it's yeah. I don't I don't I don't want to act like I have an answer for anyone, but I want to portray what I went through, and that's what we do on our podcast and our YouTube channel. Like we try to talk from our experience what we went through, just so other people can maybe relate. And uh, yeah, so like this week. Um, I'll have one year off of opiates, which is, Fuck yeah. yeah, which is like by far the entire 10 years, pretty much from when I started, uh, the longest time I ever had clean was probably like three weeks and a it, month or so. And, and if anyone listening to this has never, you know, un, you know, gratefully never had this problem, they, they might not understand it. It's, it changes you. 
the opioids, um, alcohol, all these things really change you and not for the better. I mean, like Alex, and this is not talking about your alcohol drinking. Like Alex has like a drink every so often. So that's not like a serious problem. I'm talking about. I haven't got actually- a problem, Tom. <laughs> told you, man. Get my fucking we, back, we did, asshole. We did. Um, <laughs> drink my juice, okay? I've got my juice. <laughs> just, just use it, bro. Just use it. Um, we, uh, we took off. Actually, we took off for Lent. Me and Alex, we wanted to prove to everyone, including ourselves, that we did not need anything that would you know make us go like i love cannabis that's been my thing since i was 13 years old i've always smoked weed and alex you know enjoys a drink ever so often so for lent we just wanted to take like four and neither of us observe religion at all we are not religious people um but we wanted to just like you know it's like hey this is something going on in the world right now let's let's just do it it'll be fun and we made it how many days we make it not 40 (laughs) not 40 not 40 not 40 uh the stress of the world yeah, yeah, we <laughs> nice. No, no, we Congrats. made it longer than that. We made it like well, three, three weeks. weeks. Okay, we'll give yeah, it three we made weeks. It like okay. three weeks. That's yeah, impressive. Yeah. It is impressive. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Thank you, Roy. I think it's very impressive that we made it that long. And I've absolutely. actually cut back quite a bit on cannabis. Um, but I am still a big believer in searching out ways to kind of enlighten your life. Um, now, who, Ryan, um, I, since you're the one to start off with it, who introduced you to the idea, the concept of ayahuasca or psilocybin to kind of help you get out of the rut you're in or the, the demons that you're battling? I actually just was super desperate and just looking for any alternative. And I came across a TED Talk by Robin Carhart Harris, and it showed this stark image that I'll never forget of uh, the neural pathways of a brain normally and then the neural pathways of a brain on psilocybin. And the neural pathways of the normal brain are very rigid and very defined. And on psilocybin, they're kind of, it seems almost random and like everywhere. And it's, it kind of reminded me of like bringing you back to like a childlike state where you don't have this such a rigid state of mind and thinking, which with depression, that rigid state of mind gets entrenched so deeply that you can't see, you can't see any hope. It becomes hopelessness learned hopelessness where it feels like no matter what you do, you'll never get out of this rut. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that it becomes your reality because Mm -hmm. you won't try and and get out of it. Yeah. And that's um, a good way. Like essentially like when you talked about um, how it put you in like a childlike state, uh, I would say that ayahuasca absolutely put me in a childlike state. Um, it It just showed me that like whatever my worries were, these absolute nightmares of worries even though there's you can you know they're still real it's just they're not as you know as i don't have to fear them as much as i thought i did um they're not as concrete nor as tangible when you can do something like ayahuasca or psilocybin where like if anyone's never taken either one of these things i've never done ayahuasca personally um it's not really like i live up in the nek up in the northeast kingdom and you know we're all a bunch of hippies up here which is excellent um so you know there's mushrooms and all that type of good stuff and i've used them on countless occasions anytime that i feel like i'm kind of bogged down or anytime that i'm like oh man i'm just the stress of life is just too much instead of turning back to my go-to like you could my wife for a long time it was just turning back to opioids it's it's how i dealt with everything when i had my first kid luckily it kind of taught me a little bit of a life lesson about everything which was i can't be selfish about myself i can't just shut off the world to kind of solve all my problems what i need to do is i need to figure something else out and that's when i started becoming more involved in psychedelics and alternative medicines um so when i started taking 
mushrooms on the occasion it felt like it was like a jump start and i would get out of it like and of course it's you know it's it's a good time i'm not gonna lie i'd, I'd be lying to you right now if i was not gonna say that i did not have a good time during all these experiences but when the thing that i take the the most pride in is when the after effect of it all when i was done with it when i was no longer high anymore i felt lighter i felt like the worries that were always surrounding me were kind of clearer that the the goals that i have were you know more feasible and that's the kind of like thing that i wish more people would understand about this instead of yeah. focusing on the ill aspects and that's why you look at like states like colorado who have just barely de- decriminalized um uh, psilocybin so there's obviously um some real um, uh, there's some real hope behind this. It's just that unfortunately, just like everything, you know, that might be, you know, looked at in a darker light, it, it's taken a while for them to kind of bring it forward and do some real science on, but obviously that's in the process. Yeah. And, and Tom, that ultimately, like essentially that's what it did for me. It, it gave me this cathartic release and it showed me that there is still hope and it, it renewed like a sense of hope within me. Um, but then, but then you come down off the ayahuasca and, uh, you know, I came off and then it's like, all right, I'm going to try to stay clean and sober, but like 10 years of not being sober, how in the heck am I supposed to just be sober? You know? Um, so it's a lot of work afterwards. Of course. Uh, Yeah. Now, not, not only did you guys do that, but it led to you helping out other people. Do you guys want to talk about that at all? Well, what we've, we're, well, we came to like we realized we have to help ourselves before we can help anyone. And at that point, after the ayahuasca, I was kind of like I said, I had ten, like ten years of emotion that was unresolved and undealt with, kind of all flooding out at once. Hmm. And I didn't know how to constructively put that energy towards really much. So, what Ryan and I de- developed was a integ. You hear about psychedelics and integration. If you're going to use psychedelics for a spiritual or a um, awakening purpose then they're they're it's pr- generally agreed that there should be an integration afterwards yes. but we didn't know what that meant like what is integration like how do you take this experience you had and make it you know actual life changes from it make it ingrained into your life afterwards hmm. um and that was something we both struggled with and uh, we both relapsed in, in behaviors after we had these experiences so we realized okay now we have to develop a way to draw from those experiences continuously throughout life. Yeah. Cause it's not as simple as just white knuckling and, and being like, all right, so I had this experience. I just have to fight through whatever I can to stay sober. That's not attainable. It doesn't, the, yeah. it, it didn't work. I mean, I got, I stopped using heroin over pretty much overnight and I stayed off of it for like three and a half months. But then during that transition, I was going from a high dose of methadone down to trying to get off of it. And I went down to one milligram. So I went mm. from 100, 120 milligrams down to one milligram. Yeah, thank you. And it was like a three, three and a half month process, which is, a, you know, the doctor said it was an extremely fast taper, but I was hard headed and I was like, I'm getting off this stuff. <laughs> uh, I went down to one milligram and I relapsed. Um, physical, uh, psychological withdrawal, all that. Um, when you're in recovery... Uh, what's the what's the the main the main sort of rules with clean living you know sort of uh, no alcohol no weed yeah no ayahuasca anything like is is there a general rule that usually says stay away from these things and maybe did you feel guilty from starting it oh yeah i mean in the 
yeah, if you're trying to stay sober and you're trying to stay clean, you're trying to get off the drugs, it's a zero tolerance policy. You can't, you can't do any. Except for nicotine and caffeine. Yeah, I know, right? No, those are okay, though. They don't fucking yeah. give out. <laughs> yeah, but if you say you use psychedelics, they'll say you're not clean, you know? Which, which or, is fucking obscene to me. I'm sorry, please. I cut you off, please. Well, yeah. Or, or if you do have like an occasional drink, it's like, I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to be like, all right, now that I'm off heroin, I can never drink again, or I can never smoke weed, or I can never do anything. I, I don't do them very often. I do them in, in, in moderation, yes. but like, that's something that I truly believe should be like, okay for a human being to do. Just because you want to stay off one life-threatening, one of the worst subs- addiction, addictive substances in the world doesn't mean that you can't still... I mean, for me, it doesn't mean I can't still live and experience altered states of consciousness with yes. different. And, and I think that was something that was kind of like that's what kind of what what I'm trying to tell people. I'm, that's like part of my story here. Now, um, during your recovery process, did anyone ever introduce you to kratom? Have you ever even heard of that? Yeah, Ryan. Ryan I introduced it to him before the psychedelics, and you- I. I was no. using it for a while I, uh, mm. for depression and stuff, but it became destructive because I would just use it every day, all day. And then it just kind of became what what the pharmaceuticals were, you know, the same type of thing. Yeah, but yeah. I have heard of a lot of people that have had success, and I thought it really would help Rory. Um, and I don't know if, um, if you're familiar with Kratom, Alex. Kratom is a tea that is made in Indonesia that they've had a lot of success. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't work for everybody. Unfortunately, it can lead to relapse. But it does a similar thing that the methadone would do without it being methadone. Um, yeah. From what I understand, it's from the same um, uh, group as coffee, actually. Um, they grind it down, they make it into a tea, and then you drink that. And it's supposed to be a mood elevator. It's supposed to be uh, a way – like I saw this Vice documentary on this guy who did like tons of heroin. He was um, doing heroin and stuff and he was just drinking this tea every day and it cut down almost all the negative side effects from withdrawing from heroin. And I found it very, very interesting. So I didn't know if you guys have maybe even heard, um, like, cause I, I'd never even heard about it until the Vice documentary. Yeah. I mean, I, I've only heard, I've taken it maybe once or twice, but I didn't really, um, it, it's a brutal process to drink Kratom. It's, it's not, does not taste good. No. No. Drink a lot of it. So, um, like green tea. Who the fuck drinks green tea and enjoys it? Fuck. I don't know. Who would drink right. green tea and enjoy it? I don't know. Some. Yeah, you. you, you mm, I, I, I remember chatting to him one day. He was like, oh, what, I'm like what are you drinking? He's like, is that like black tea? I was like, yeah. I went I through keto. I, I was doing keto, okay? Like, I know that we came to talk about some other stuff, but since we're all here, I did keto and I gave up sugar. I gave up carbs. I used to be 280 pounds. I was a big dude. I'm uh, 180 pounds. Thank you very much. And he was wow. in the thank you. Thank you. Um, that was the applause. Now. Don't give me. I do. I really do. I love the applause. I want you guys to tell me how good I look. I just, that's all I want. Um, but Alex is from the UK where tea is not only, you know, a, a drink, it's a rite of passage, you know I mean? For fuck's sake, it's one of the things that they're most well known for. So when I drank tea like a heathen, he made sure to tell me I was drinking tea like still a does. heathen. I still do. It's, it's delicious. I still All you Americans are, are cunts with your tea. You're like, wow. oh, we're going to chill it. We're going to put lemon in it. We're going to shake it up in the shaker, put it with yeah. ice. It's so good. It's so good. Fuck Don't be off. jealous that we Fuck drink off. good no, beverages. I think it's hilarious because I just had a matcha latte, which I have not 
had ever. Like I've never had that before, but it was pretty good. <laughs> Why uh, do you think that people? That, I'm sorry to cut you off, Alex, but really quick, since you mentioned Machalati. Why do you think that the big turn for most people that go through recovery is nicotine and caffeine? Like, is it just because it's socially acceptable at that point, or do you think it's because it actually does something for you? Oh, it absolutely does something. Yeah. I mean, but it, it is socially acceptable. But it's also socially acceptable, and it's legal, and it's... I mean... I don't know. Like, you, you used to talk about, like, you can make anything your heroin. Like, you can make anything your numbing thing, your your substance that you use to disconnect or relax or whatever. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what it is, you know, just a socially... Yeah, I, see, like, one thing that Ryan and I talked about early on when I was getting clean was we talked about drugs as not being good or bad, but just drugs being... You know, tools, tools like a hammer is not good or bad. You can use a hammer to destroy everything. You give a kid a hammer, he's going to destroy something. But if you teach a kid how to use a hammer, you might actually build something. And oh, that's yeah. that's our view on on drugs. And like we cannabis is a big part of our story, too, because I used to use cannabis every day for a while uh, back in like high school and college. And it helps me there deal with just depression and isolation but uh, I stopped using it, and actually, Alex, my wife is from uh, Peru, and she has kind of a similar similar experience with drugs and the views on them. And I was like, I don't, I don't need to do, I don't need to smoke weed. Uh, I'm fine without it. And so I stopped completely. But when we were talking about a integration structure for the psychedelics, we were thinking, okay, if we could get into some type of an altered state where we could connect and think about our past psychedelic experiences that could be valuable. And that's when I thought, you know, maybe we could just smoke together outside in nature, sit in silence and then talk about our feelings. That was like, that's what we came up with. And over the past year, we've done that every week for a year. It's developed into a very like structured and, and ritualized type thing, but it was a key part of, uh, integrating my psychedelic experiences and drawing value from them and like yeah. putting them in my life because uh, I had to sh- change a lot of things about my life. I had a daughter um, who's 14 or 16 months now. So wow. I, I had to change a lot of par- parts of my life because I realized that I was not having, I, I'm a role model for my daughter. And if I'm, you know, what I was doing was playing video games all the time to disconnect and uh, nothing wrong with video games. Like, I love them, but uh, I was just playing all day when my, you know, couple month old daughter and wife were sitting on the bed, and I'm like, I could be connecting with them right now and doing something, but it's just so much anxiety that I just want to, you know, go into this virtual world, and uh, so I started realizing like, you can you can use things in your life either to connect or disconnect. You can play video games with a buddy and connect with them, and you know, have a great time. Or you can, you know, I could be playing a video game while, you know, my friends are over there doing something and I'm just like trying to escape the world. Anyway, so like what we wanted to do was do something in integration together, like something that we can have some camaraderie, but we can also um, have some. uh... It's kind of like a open, vulnerable space where we can just talk about whatever it's similar to therapy in the sense where like we encourage each other to just say whatever comes up. But anyway, uh, I, I just want to say like cannabis. Yes. It's a, it's a huge part of the story because before we started doing these cannabis, you know, weekly rituals that we do, 
I mean, ritual sounds occultish, but <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think so. I think when it's put in the proper uh, verbiage, that it's totally acceptable to say it like that. If you were to be like, we bring a bunch of virgins to the woods and we smoke cannabis, it might be a little cultish. But I feel like the ritual yeah. of it all is is something very true. Because if you look at the Rastafarian religion, they would absolutely claim that using cannabis is part of the ritual. So I think it's I think it's good. Right. Work. Yeah, and I mean, it, ultimately, it's just it started out as just three men going into the forest sitting in a circle lighting up a joint trying to stay quiet as long as possible until, which is really hard which is extremely <laughs> extremely when, hard when it starts hitting you you see, just want to talk see i also another thing that i always avoided when i was on the opiates was cannabis because mm-hmm. every time i smoked cannabis it i was confronted with things that i didn't want to feel that i was using the opiates to escape from mm. so you know from so anyway so going out there and and, and smoking and doing it every single week for a year, um, it may sound like, oh, you're just getting high in the woods or something. But to the people that are in it, that are the three the three of us that are really committed to just doing that, it's, it's not like you have to make a huge commitment. It's just commit to doing that, just going it once a week, you know, doing this little ritual. And, and it's very it, eye-opening. Yeah, and using and, it like that brings up a lot of, like Roy was saying, brings up a lot of things that you realize you've been kind of avoiding in your daily life. And uh, yeah, I think, no, 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 I, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, actually, something similar. Um, and when you say, like, oh, it sounds like a cult, oh, they'll look at us like we're weird. Blah, blah, you know, that kind of thing, you shouldn't be ashamed of this because what have people been doing in the UK is they've been counting down the days until the beer gardens have been open so they can go and have a pint, see yeah. with their mates and chat. Uh, and they have been for the last couple of weeks. That's a cult. That, that, that's what they've been looking forward to. I mean, why couldn't they? Have, do you know what I mean? What is different from sitting in a beer garden, having a few beers with your mate, catching up, bantering, laughing and joking, or going to the woods with your mates, sitting there enjoying each other's company, but instead of having a beer, you're having a joint instead. There's no difference. It's, it's, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. I would, I would completely agree with you, Alex. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to do this is because um, the, the UK is very, very different than the US. I mean, we could obviously understand that um, being that we're from the US and we kind of have a feel for the app for the uh for the donut atmosphere. different sorry yeah we do spell donut differently and we do do tea differently we do have all in the cars the boots and all that type of stuff but i mean um with with hearing this alex and of course uh, whatever he says please I, I i've had the privilege of knowing alex for three years now we've been partners and i love him to death but some things don't really kind of mesh well with him now hearing their stories the way you have and the way that it's benefited them with their lives what do you think about this whole situation yeah and be honest hit, hit, hit us with it no 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 we need, to, I, we need I, I completely relate actually genuinely really honestly relate to this and that is because i have been my, the the, the use of guys probably listening to this now tom will know i've been dealing with a lot of anxiety lately in fact flipping the fuck out with my fucking teammates on the group because i'm just dealing with so much shit like yesterday i went to a meeting i met someone in town in a cafe and before i went out i paced the fucking apartment i packed my bag unpacked it then packed it again changed my t-shirt before i went out i was like what the fuck all i'm going to do is talk to this little lady about this thing i'm doing like that's how anxiety fucks me up sometimes yeah, right? yeah, yeah. but i have this new ritual that um 
an amazing lady, Kat Merrick. She's a, a yoga dance teacher and she does cold swimming and cold showers and, and uh, mm. she taught me how to meditate. And the last sort of 18 months, I have been learning how to meditate. It's just something I've just thrown into my life and it's really helped me. Now that my new routine is, and I, I kind of almost... I, I'm I'm not addicted to it, but I kind of if I don't do it, I kind of need it. And that is, when I'm in the shower in the morning before I'm going out, it goes from being warm, and I gradually turn it down until it's the coldest it will go. And I'm standing in the shower and I'm breathing through it. And it sounds daft. It's a, it's a meditation process that I do every morning. And then I, my reward is that shower going warm again, and I feel great. Mm. I love that. It's it re- recharges me. It kind of helps me, me with my anxiety. And it gives me energy for for at least half of the day. I'm kind of like really buzzing from it. So yeah. like that is my heroin. You know, you're saying anything can be your heroin. That mm-hmm. is my heroin. That is what I need to get my day started. Yeah. So I yeah. do kind of relate. And Does it's that a, makes sense? That yeah, makes absolutely. perfect sense. We actually do it. Like I, I can relate to that completely because I was on the cold showers for a while. I fell off like doing them, but like it's the best way to start a day i think and, and it's that morning ritual like it sets your brain up and i think it it helps you process the anxieties anxiety like spikes in the morning because it's like oh shit i have all these things to do but if you can sit in cold water and just be like i'm okay it's so empowering it's like i can do i, I can crush this day now you know well yeah. i know ryan was doing them for a while so that's yeah, yeah. i, I like love it i love it uh, last year, I was staying at my mother-in-law's apartment, and there was a there was a problem with the plumbing. I can't remember this one day. The shower I was in there, it went completely freezing cold, and I was being a bit of a bitch. And I was like, I can't get in this water; it's too cold. Oh my god, I can't do it. Okay, now I'll just be like, okay, I'm brief. You know, that's the difference. That's a huge yes. difference. Someone someone brought us brought up that point to us last uh, since September. So we started getting in the water, you know, once a week or as you know, once a week, and we just did that until. Up, up up until December when there was snow on the ground, we got in the cold water. It was uh, nice, intense, man. But I, yeah, but it's it's yeah. a very meditative like state or uh, tranquil state that one can get in. I, I don't do the cold showers, man. I'm like for some reason I can get in like cold bodies of water, but when it comes to cold showers, it scares me. I I, I think I'm gonna start doing that. <laughs> Um, and I, and I want people to take the proper things away from this conversation. Like uh, this is not an advocacy for just going out and doing whatever you want to do. The, obviously you guys did some real research into this. There was a real thought process that went into this whole experience that you guys have had. And clearly your guys relationship has been far better now that you've had this experience than it was in the past. So there is definitely some benefits to everything and whether, you know, and whether it's you, you figured out through, you know, meditating and taking cold showers, whether it is you go through a psilocybin or ayahuasca trip or whether it is you just go cold turkey and kind of, you know, buck up and realize it by yourself. It doesn't matter what you do, but we all have real life struggles and we ha- all have real life problems. And the, the way to go about it is not to just ignore them, it's to deal with them. And I think that's what all three of us can agree that we've done in our lives, whether it be, you know, meditating, ayahuasca, psilocybin, or fucking just kind of like smoking a big fat joint until you're like, all right, it's not as bad as I think it is. Um, And I think that's a beautiful thing because we all come from different walks of life. So um, how has your guys' relationship been since this whole thing started? Because obviously when you guys, um, before this whole thing, it seemed like you guys weren't nearly as connected. I mean, obviously being brothers, you, you were always related, but from what I gathered from the beginning of the conversation, you guys were kind of not uh, syncing properly, right? You guys weren't like together at all points. So how did this change your guys' relationship after you got on the the right path, as I would call it? 
I mean, it completely changed it. It's like, I would, when Rory, when we first started doing this and Rory got clean, I would say like, feels like I'm connecting with Rory for the first time since we were kids, since we were like 12 or 13. Cause even before he got into drugs heavily, we were disconnected because, uh, for a lot of reasons, but, um, but yeah, there became this wall between us and the drugs just increased. I know you told me that you would, if you saw me and you knew I was high, which wasn't hard for you to tell, you would just try to avoid talking to me. Yeah. Because I knew that he wouldn't put in the same effort that I would, if I wanted to talk to him and talk about something real, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the same effect because he has that barrier up that wall of, you know, opiates. And for me towards the end of it, I was just like, I'm not going to try. It's not my responsibility to try and connect with him if he's not going to put forth the same effort. And so I, we did, we just, you know, we lived in the same house, but it was just like, hi and bye, you know, that was our interactions. Yeah. I think one of the biggest takeaways from what, what, from an example, if you take an example from what we're doing and from what I'm doing is I feel like I now have my life. I have a life I have. And, and it's like, it's going to be a long process. And I know that like, you got a I've fucking been, future, man. You got a yeah. future. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is scary, but not as scary as it used to be. Mm. I mean, it's scary in the fact that like, all right, now I've got to take responsibility. You know, in the past, I would do anything to avoid responsibility, but it's also empowering for me. And it's very, so what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, I've been clean from opiates for one year, but I have many years and I just, I feel like I have my life back. I feel like I have a chance, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to, you know, uh, I was going to say, uh, when I think of methadone, I've never been on methadone before. I don't know what it feels like. Mm. Um, it, to me, it, it seems like it's almost like a carrot on a string, right? Um, and with you uh, now on ayahuasca and, and, and hallucinogens and doing things the way you're doing now on this right path, as we've called it, um, do you feel liberated now for, away from that carrot on a string that the methadone, does it feel better than now you, you've got rid of that out of your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had to take that every single day and and I would, you know, it's such a stark difference to see like, the, okay. So for example, like Ryan and I put a video on YouTube of footage that Ryan took of me when I was still on the methadone. It's I, like a different person. I got to Maybe we'll, I'll send you guys the link if you want to check it out. It's, it's just, it's just, just, just peek at it. Like it's, obs- you, you wouldn't even recognize them. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. But. Yeah. So, so, and yes, uh, absolutely. I'm so grateful that I don't have, you know, I got to the point where I would call them liquid handcuffs because every day I'd have to go get more because yeah. methadone never did for me what they say it was going to keep you off drugs, r- repress your uh, cravings, suppress your cravings. Like there has to be a, a significant effort in the therapy along with the methadone for, for it to, I think, work. And I, I'm telling you, 90% of the people at least that I know that we're on methadone and I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm just telling you like how it is. I would go in there every day, see the same faces every day. It was people that there was not going to get clean. No. Why would they? I mean, I, I wouldn't expect them to, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to sympathize with them because I was there with them every day. Yeah. yeah. So when, to- when methadone came up in the conversation, when you were what, like 22 or 21 or whatever, you're like, yeah, I want that. You know, it's more of what, 
I want with yeah. an Airwind, but I don't have to go out and spend my money on it. I just get it every day. And yeah. it's, I was going to say this crazy kind of, not crazy story, but this interesting story. When Rory went into the, the doctor's office to tell the doctor that he wanted to taper off his methadone, he brought me in with him and I just kind of sat and watched. But the conversation was so, it was just so amazing to me because Rory's like, I want to get off methadone. And the doctor's like, I don't think that's a good idea, <laughs> which makes sense because the doctor told him the stats. He says 95% of people or 90% of people that try and get off methadone will just get right back on it. 5% will end up dead from a relapse and maybe 5% will get clean. And he said those facts straight up and said, I don't think you should do this. And Rory had to say, you can't make me take the methadone. I'll only take half. If I have to, I'm getting off this. And it was the most inspiring thing I've ever seen, you know, and Rory inspires, like he inspires the hell out of me every day because of, you know, the struggle he went through. And, and that's the that's the other really big dirty secret about methadone, unfortunately, is that your body gets off of heroin. It's it's not used to having heroin anymore. And then when people do tend to relapse, they go back to using the same amount of heroin that they st- ended with. Like they'll be like, oh, I used to do a half a bag or I did a whole bag of heroin, whatever it might be, depending on how long you're using. And then all of a sudden, bam, shock to the heart, you drop down dead. And that's just like one of the biggest dirtiest yes. secrets of this band-aid that they throw. And I love that you used that term earlier in the conversation that it is a band-aid. It's, it's not a cure to anything. And I can salute and support anyone that has taken any sort of alternative methods to try to heal themselves and get themselves out of a situation that, you know, we all get ourselves into just by trying to deal with the everyday life. I, I salute you for it, man. I mean, honestly, it's, it's one of the hardest decisions anyone can make. And you made that decision. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I saw in the newspaper, um, I have to keep pulling back up because I, I have it right here. Um, yeah, when I'm, by the way, since we live in Burlington, I'm happy you got signed this for me eventually. I'll put them on all <laughs> of all my happy horse shit. Um, oh, yeah. it, it says here on the thing that you guys have been doing, um, uh, where is it? You guys have launched a support group. Do you want to talk about that at all before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, we, Ryan, um, just created a little group on this, uh, meetup app called Vermont Psychedelic Support Group. Because we realized like one of the big things, one of the worst things about if someone has a psychedelic experience is telling people about it, about it and people saying, oh, that's crazy. That's not important. When to them, it's a very meaningful experience, one of the most meaningful experiences. And I think a lot of times that leads to people disregarding it and people going down a bad path. I think yeah. I think there's a lot of homeless people and and people out there that had powerful experiences back in the 60s and 70s that were like, that's transformative. And then they tell people about it and they say, no, you're crazy. That's just a drug. Which and pushes, a, which would put, you could see how that could push a human being to actually believing that they're crazy and not, and withdrawing from society. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things we thought is like, if we could just create a little group where people can share their experiences and, you know, be validated for them because other people know, you know, everyone in this group, except for like one person has had psychedelic experiences and, they talk about them openly and people relate and just that re- relating to it is validating and it's really important. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's another way just to like open the conversation and make it instead of it being like behind closed doors. Oh, somebody had a psychedelic experience. It's like, let's, let's be honest. Let's, yes. you know, one yeah. thing about dr- drug education in particular is it's, it's not, it never felt honest. It's not honest. When I, I remember seeing this uh, video in eighth grade of a guy who smoked 
uh, wheat cannabis daily and he was missing part of his jaw. And they said that because he smoked daily that that, that happened. And then there was a lot of other horror stories. And then I remember I tried cannabis because I was curious about it. I was a little skeptical. I was like, can this really like mess up my mind that much or whatever? Anyway, um, that kind of, I realized that cannabis wasn't what the they had been teaching me. And, and then you got to throw out all the education you got from adults because you realize all of it was there to manipulate you. And which I think may, I mean, it's very well may have um, pushed me to try harder drugs and kind of throw off all of, disregard all of what they said, which isn't good, but it's just kind of, that's just how it happens. Yeah, if you can't trust this piece, how am I going to trust this piece that you told me oh, about? Yeah. I mean, while we've been talking, I've been pulling up bits uh, and reading them as we've been talking. And I am confused. I am so fucking confused. I found articles on the BBC saying people with uh, serious mental health issues should stay away from ayahuasca. Um, Wikipedia says that um, DMT or ayahuasca is a, a, a class A drug in the UK. Then I find an article here on Healthline which says, uh, which actually talks really positively about it, is, uh, you know, uh, says, uh, you may have heard some stories of people traveling to foreign destinations to experience talking, uh, taking ayahuasca as a, you know, all these amazing things and talk about how good it can be for, for mental health and the research they're putting into it. There's one here from the Metro, which is a UK rag, um, which is about a girl who <laughs> reads quite funny, actually. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning in mud. My brain has turned into noodles. And I've just tipped a bucket of my own vomit over my head. This is the re reality of doing ayahuasca, a transformative hallucinogen. hallucinogen huh. Sorry, I struggled with that word. Uh, despite a terrifying trip involving ghosts, broccoli and frogs, <laughs> I'm so glad I did it. I finally found inner peace and my life has radically changed. But let's rewind a bit. You know, and she talks about her experiences and she, uh, 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 she says that yeah. it's rewired her brain and she's found inner peace. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to... How are you supposed to understand this shit? Like... See, I have a, I have a, that's why I have a hard time talking about the experience because what can I say about it other than let me just, you know, lead by example and try and show that like, I, yeah, I, I benefited from it, but I'm not, we're not, we're never ones to say that other people should take psychedelics. We, I've never told, I mean, unless it's like a close friend and I trust them and I'm like, okay, we can yes. do this together, but I don't tell people that they should do psychedelics because I don't know. What, and and they're not like they're not benign like if you have if, if you're in a bad setting and you are taking it in for the wrong reasons it can push you into a worse place um and yeah, so like, there is a real danger to it and, and that's why they say about the mental illness like yes it can be used to treat mental illness in the right setting it can also lead deeper into mental illness in the wrong setting absolutely and, yeah like same as weed same as alcohol same as, yeah. as caffeine you know very uh, true yeah. Same with bad words. I mean, fucking anything that you really want to take, you can turn it into a negative thing. It all depends with what you do with it and the tools that you have. Um, what I want to do is, um, guys, was unfortunately we were coming up short on time. One, I want to talk to you guys again. When we're when you guys are further down the road, um, mm -hmm. I'd like to talk to you about it again. Also, something else I want to do is I'm going to look for a medical professional that also believes in such a thing. I want to get him on the show and have a conversation with him as well, because I believe this is a very important ongoing conversation to have, which is, you know, mental illness and mental health is something that we don't pay enough attention to, especially in the current climate, whether it be social media that kind of monitors and, and dictates how we run our lives or it's how the pandemic has led us to feel. It, it's very important that we take care of ourselves now in whatever way it might be in a very healthy setting. 
So yeah. I want to make this an ongoing conversation. I definitely want to support you guys in any way, shape, or form that I can, especially being Vermonters on top of everything else, but also ble- being a big believer in um, in alternative medicines. Um, if if people wanted to, you know, follow and support, or even join the group, how uh, where can they find you guys? So we have a website um, that we created called CultivatingConnectionsVT.com. Um, you know, ultimately, yeah, we want to find you know, f- find funding for alternative treatments, which does not mean that um, psychedelics are the cu- cure all end all be all. I mean, connection is really, that's why our website and our podcast is called cultivating connections. It's really about connecting. Yeah. And that's what the psychedelics provided for me. Connecting, it, connecting with ourselves. And yeah. by doing that, we can connect to other people. I don't know. That's kind of, Yeah like reconnecting to myself. When I was depressed, I, I didn't know who I was. I hated myself. The The psilocybin allowed me to reconnect to the child in myself that I did love. I loved childhood and I loved being a child and that never goes away. It just gets covered up over all this, you know, a, adult responsibilities and all this anxiety and shit. Yeah. So getting back to that allowed me to reconnect with my brother, which allowed me to connect with you guys on this podcast and meet you guys. You guys are awesome. It's been great talking yeah. to you. Oh, and uh, it it really is about connections, but we will if like like I said with the government giving ninety nine percent or virtually one hundred percent of government funding to maintenance treatment, it's like if we could just get the government to say take a a percentage of that and say can we fund some alternative treatments for this? Can we look elsewhere instead of just putting all our eggs in one basket? That basket that's not even providing much. Yeah. I feel phenomenal. like when it comes to like the the uh, the, the uh, opioid pe- uh, pandemic epidemic, whatever you want to call it, in the US, it's kind of like, well, fuck them, yeah, <laughs> you know, fuck them, just let them smoke themselves into oblivion. I don't give a shit. Like you know, that's kind of like what I feel uh, is yeah. is going on with the, the government, both in the US and the UK. In all honesty, but and and you're not wrong either. Like that is exactly how it kind of is. They're like, well, you put yourself in the situation. We're going to give you very minimal help to kind of help you along and just kind of live your life but we're not going to actually take care of your problem we're just going to kind of set you in a situation where you can still be a functioning member of society and that's about all they do unfortunately that's, that's all they want you know yeah. they just want you to play the game with them you know but that's we're, we're all about helping people as as a as a network and obviously you guys care a lot about others too you know do you have any recommendations for someone that's you know, maybe in Rory's situation uh, and Ryan as well de- with with depression, any helpful sort of resources, places they can go to find good information, whether it be Facebook, whether it be websites, whether it be um, a hotline or anything like that. What, what worked for you guys? Uh, one big resource for me was Reddit and subreddits, um, like the Psychonaut subreddit and uh, Rational Psychonaut, some other ones. They allowed me to connect with other people and share my story and get encouragement there. And there's another one called Maps. I don't know if you guys have heard of Maps. Um, multi-action, um, like multi-action disciplinary studies for psychedelics or something. Some long-winded name, but Maps <laughs> Maps.org. It's, yeah, they uh, have like the science behind how these, or they're doing the science. Yeah, they're funding studies and how psychedelics can be helpful in therapy. Um, See, the, the problem is there isn't any, because of the legality issue, there isn't any place you can go in Vermont or uh, even in America, I don't think, where you can say, 
I need treatment for this. I want to go the psychedelic route or the alternative route. You just can't do that. You have to go fly to uh, South America or some other country where it's legal. And that's a shame because I would have loved to have a, um, have the, that experience in a well-structured area, but I was resort- resorted to just taking it in my bedroom because I didn't have any, uh, any, you know, structure provided where I could do that. In. Yeah. Or support behind it. Yeah. So like, so I don't think the way I did it is ideal. I don't think the way Rory did it is ideal, but it worked. It, it worked. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Lucky> work. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're and we're just trying to get the word out there. Just just let's start talking. Let's have the conversation. Let's just start talking yes. about it. Yeah. Absolutely. So super Absolutely. grateful that you guys reached out to us. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Alex. Oh, it's been great chatting no. to you. Uh, and this is this it's the perfect conversation for us to have on this show because it's me on the outside tom is very much on the inside understands this sort of shit uh, and me learning about this means the listeners can too Mm. and we have put this podcast together because we do care about our community and we do want to help people and you know on the outside uh, you know taking this podcast out of here now i want to say to people Stay safe, you know, and, and yes. reach out to people. Talk about these things and have a, a, a you know conversation about these. Um, get in touch with Ro- Ro- Ryan and Rory, even if you're in California. I don't give a fuck. If you're in the UK, you know these guys will probably help you in, in helping you with t- just to talk about their story. Talk to us. You got Tom Bruno there. He knows. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, um, a couple things. One, one or two things. And I, I got to emphasize the fact that I really appreciate you guys taking you know the time out, especially because this was like literally the beginning of the week. I was like, hey, I just saw your story. Please come on the show because we had a guest drop out and we just kind of like lost our shit. It was my own yeah. stress. Did you guys totally relieve that stress just by coming on being the magical you? And I really appreciate that about you. Good. Thank you. I'm glad you reached out to me. Um, I, I, yeah, I just want to say like, to add what Alex was just saying, like I would, I hope some, I hope one of our, your listeners does reach out to us just to have a conversation like we we just want to connect with people and talk to people about these things and and just share our experience and we do a a zoom meeting every thursday at six which is that's our like psychedelic support group but it's really we talk about a lot more psychedelics it's just a cool place with you can pretty much find everything on the website yeah, if you go to our website. It looks beautiful, beautiful. Did WebOrchard web make your website too? Because it's fucking oh, beautiful. Wow, hey, WebOrchard made our website. Did that? That's a, bit, that's a bit that we do, by the way, Ryan and Rob. We've already done that. So <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We're a sponsor. We need um, to find a new way to end this show, Tom, uh, because we've just done it all. We've done all the announcements halfway through. Uh, how do we end this now? Um, we can end it by saying, you know, hey guys, um, go out there, love one another, you know, don't take each other too seriously, um, love your family, love everybody else, and, um, you know, just uh, make sure that if you are in a bad place, there are people out there you can reach out to, and there are people that care, so make sure that you take the proper steps, and don't, you know, don't go down the worst route just because you feel like there's no solution to your problems. There's plenty of people like ourselves that would love to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And if, if you're on the outside too, looking at this, and you're like, oh, fucking druggies, don't be a judgmental dick. Right? <laughs> That's it. Okay? Yes. We'll, we'll say that. Um, <laughs> but we'll play the outro. Uh, Roy, Ryan, stick behind for a second. We'll have a chat with you, um, say goodbye to you properly. But guys, make sure you join us next week. Uh, we will be back. Uh, thank you for, for, for tuning in. Peace out. Hi, this is Ickis from Ariel Monsters. And um, I would like very much to ask you, if you don't mind, to watch um, the USAC Network with Tom Bruno and Alex. Oh, that's all. I have to go flush myself now.